Welcome everyone, DC Comics fans, DC Comics news fans, fans of comics, fans of talking about comics. You've arrived at the right place. This is a DC Comics news fandom follow-up exclusive, a special hosted by yours truly, Seth Singleton, joined by the amazing and wonderful Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how are you? Hello, everyone. <laughs> and later on, we're going to have Kelly Jane... Kelly Gaines, whose name I can say correctly when I just focus on pronunciation. Kelly Gaines will be hopping on a little bit later with us, telling us uh, some of the things she got a chance to catch up on. What are we talking about? We're talking about fandom. Why? Well, fandom realized we couldn't squeeze it all in in the one original date that stretched it out. We had a chance to catch up on a lot of it yesterday. I was on the road a bit. Nephew graduation. Travis, love you, buddy. Uh, really happy to join a, a really small family dinner and celebrate and all that great stuff. But it meant that I had to rush home, hop on for a bit of a live stream with Josh and Kendra. And in between, I know I missed a lot, which is great because I've got Brad, who was like uh, just a boss, totally handling the desk, totally watching so much of this. I mean, the schedule was insane. Josh was like, I think he said he had like 20 and a half hours. <laughs> Of just straight live streaming he was doing. I mean, that's some stamina. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but Brad was able to hop in. I was able to hop in. We're going to start off with Brad, who was early on the schedule than me. Brad, you were right there with the Black Lightning panel and got a chance to catch everything after. Let's start with Black Lightning. What, what did you learn? What did you like? Uh, what can you tell us about what they told us? Uh, you know, it was it, it was a good panel. This is kind of the first time that i've seen them do interviews and i'm sure they've done tons of interviews i just haven't had a chance to see them so it was it was kind of cool to see the cast interact on you know what outside of being the characters uh and you know they had a lot of good things to say um you know the funny thing with tv right now in the age of covid Everything is paused, and it seems in a way paused more than movies, because it seems like movies, those productions take a while, and they're in different phases right now. But TV acts more immediately, and everything's kind of paused right now. So overall, there wasn't a whole lot of news, but it, it was just fun to hear the cast uh, get along so well and, and, and talk about the characters and, and kind of um, you know talk about how the show is different than other kind of superhero shows and how it deals with family and representation and things like that so it was it was nice to get to get the cast's input on on that i think it's something uh, important to keep in mind because we've got so much going on that uh, that we can feel like you know um from these shows that we're so used to seeing on such a regular basis and Instead, what we get this chance to do now is to pause in that whole expectation of what's coming next and say, hey, how are these amazing people we love from shows doing right now? Like the rest of us, managing um, a very challenging time and also waiting to get back to work. So what do you focus on? Well, you focus on a lot of the great uh, topics that are now being you know, discussed probably more openly than they ever have. And you get a cast that's been on a show. That has been all about representing those topics. And now you get the chance to hear their conversation. And then the part that I love that you mentioned was that whole chemistry idea, getting to see what they're like when they're not working together, but also 
what it's like to just kind of hang out with this group of people who work together and it produced a, a really amazing show. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's got to be a, a pretty cool, uh, any, just because you get a chance to learn more about them, any surprises about any of the characters? They sort of like made you smile, made you wonder, caught you off guard, uh, learned something about how they've been managing things or, or any other discovery. Well, I, I, I didn't realize that, uh, the actor who plays Tobias has has a rap career as well, so that was kind of a, a cool little uh, addition there that I'm gonna have to uh, go and, and check out his music. But that was kind of um, wow. That's that, pretty that cool. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know so that was that was a little thing. That was kind of or you know, if anyone else wants to check him out, like, whoa, what's Tobias's rap career? Like, what's this? Did yeah, he mention I, a name or? Well, I you know I. I don't, he didn't mention, it was kind of like a, it was almost like a throwaway line when he was just talking about how uh, he, the character of Tobias has helped his career and, and, and impacted his life. And he just brought wow. up like for a, a quick throwaway, quick statement about how, you know, it also affected his rap career. So I don't know if it's something that he just puts out on SoundCloud, if you can find it on iTunes, but um, I haven't had a chance to to look into that but you know you know in a future episode i'll let you know but yeah, it's something to. i'm going to try to to dig up for sure yeah i i had no idea either it, it's always one of those i worked with this guy on a game and i remember at one point um and he's this really interesting piano player uh really gifted comes from you know his father who plays too and one time we're just talking he's like yeah back when i was trying to get on a label as a rapper and i'm like say what and he's like, yeah, so I was in the game for a little bit trying to do this and that, got a label, got a contract, label fell apart, life happens. And I was like, that's a story about you. I, I've known you for like five, six years now, and you just never <laughs> <laughs> drop that out. Yeah. So I love it when yeah. someone's got a career that you're just like, wow, um, tell me more, you know, what, what, yeah. and it sounds like his is expanding because of it now. We get to expand on this conversation, move right into, you know, you went from Black Lightning into the Legends of Tomorrow panel. Uh, again, they're, they're probably in the same space. So is it another opportunity to not so much talk about what's coming on the, the schedule and the plot, but get to know, you know, the, the people who are on it? Did they have the whole cast? Was, the, was there just they, a select few? They It was a select few. Uh, Katie Lotz was there. Um, and if you wanted to sum this panel up, yeah, there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of news of what's coming but it was fun this this show you know has such a fun vibe to it and that just completely <laughs> completely uh carries over into the real life for the cast and the crew everybody just seems to have so much fun working on this show and that it, it was kind of of infectious and i'm not quite caught up on Legends of Tomorrow, but after watching this panel, it really made me want to to really get caught up because everybody just has so much fun making the show. And if there was one <laughs> takeaway from the panel for me, that that was it. Nice. That's that's a well. When I watch the show, I think to myself like, if there's a show, I think I could probably like have some fun being on and just be myself. And you know what I mean? That seems like the show where you could really just let your goofiest part out, and people would be like, perfect. 
can we get that right after we have a smoking scene with what's his name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because I just love how they've just embraced the wackiness of each character. And it, it's now just like, you know, this is the silly crew. One guy's doing bong rips. Sometimes others join him. He does a lot of psychedelic drugs. Oh, along the way, we've also got kind of a scumbag magician or sorcerer or what are you, John? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah uh, he was he was on the panel. Constantine was on the... Ah, uh, Matt Ryan's a genius. Matt Ryan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. I mean, uh, shoot. You know, I want to see him in more stuff. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. And then tell me about Batwoman, because I, I haven't had a, a chance to see more of Javisi, and I didn't get a chance to catch uh, that panel before we hopped on. But I had five minutes, and I watched the uh, actors respond to fan art. And she was yes. so enthusiastic when she was seeing the Batgirl drawings that people were sending it or Batwoman drawings. It was awesome. Like there was one where it had more hips and she's like, oh, this is a curvy woman. And another <laughs> one that had a mask that kind of looked like uh, she said it looked like Batwoman and uh, Catwoman. But I also saw a little bit of Wolverine in the shaping around the eyes. Mm -hmm. But it was a, a really cool like glimpse. And I love that I learned how to say your name correctly. But you got to see the panel. Tell me more about what you learned from Batwoman, Javicia, and whoever else was available. You know, Javicia is great. And uh, I was telling Josh when we did the kind of live stream follow-up after the panel was over that she's, she's so uh, positive and like ever-present that – it's going to be and that's and that's my introduction to her between this panel and the little panel they did on the first fandom that she was on. And she's just so happy. And seeing her as this badass superhero is going to be is going to be a, a change instead of my introduction to her being that superhero already. Um, but she's just so, so into the character. And one thing interesting about the panel is that. She hasn't worked with the cast yet, so they were, you know, you know, a lot of them were there, but they haven't really worked with her yet. So that's going to be a whole new experience for them because she's still got to, she's still got to, you know, ease into the whole, the whole flow of the show. And um, they haven't even done costume fittings yet, so it makes me think that this COVID is really going to delay that second season. But um, yeah, it's, it seems like everybody's really excited to keep moving and keep going and, you know, get it, get the train rolling again. So hopefully, hopefully that can happen soon. I'm really intrigued now, just based on how you described so much of what she showed about herself at the panel, personality, insight, um, and, and also it, it sounds just like this, like <laughs> really great, positive, uplifting energy, this feeling of like, you have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Isn't this fun and exciting? Um, which, which makes me think of like Stargirl, right? Something that, that, that just feels so full of all the hope you want, you know, all the, the sort of passion and excitement instead of the, well, I know it's going to be hard work. And it's like, yeah, we know it's going to be hard work. <laughs> we want to know what you're going to approach that like. And it sounds like she's like, isn't this going to be fun? Who yeah, cares she, about the hard work? It's fun. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I've, I, you know, I've been given this incredible opportunity and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to let it slip through my fingers. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so great. Uh, any other just before we shift and, uh, you know, talk about the uh, the next panel you got a chance to you know check out. 
it, were there any other sort of insights, developments, revelations from, you know, uh, whoever else not, was on the panel regarding personal to, or, okay. Not that I can recall off the top of my head. That's okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't just, you know, gloss over and you're like, well, actually, we learned some great stuff about, never mind, Seth, yeah, dude, I mean, just walk it, past me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then... I'm excited to hear more about Batwoman once they get going, but I love that that five minute or less than glimpse that I got of Javicia with that fan reaction thing is just a, a, a microcosm of, you know, a bigger personality, a, a personality that is like that apparently through the panel all the time and is going to be bringing that to the show. It gives me a lot of just excitement thinking about how Batwoman could really be something different. You know, and what that can look like when we get a chance to see her. Plus, we've got all this stuff to look forward to, like costume fittings, you know, uh, reveals to fans, mm -hmm. things like that. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing that we sort of have no idea how it's going to look until we get a chance to see more is the next panel you caught, which was Superman and Lois. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still thinking about all the things that we've learned about this show, but so much time has passed. I mean, keeping in mind that it's a new Superman, a Superman we've seen from Supergirl and, and a Lois that we know uh, even better from uh, the Crisis uh, crossover, but also things that we know that are going to be different about it, like the idea of the, the two sons and how that plot development is going to be. So many things we, you know, I'm trying to keep in mind when it comes to this. Tell, tell me about what you learned from the panel. Was any of this stuff talked about? Was well, it yeah, about, they, they, you know, we're still waiting. Yeah. For, let's talk about us. They talked about the sons. They're going to be two teenage sons. Um, okay. And that, I think, is, for me, that's going to make or break the show and how they treat those characters. Because having those, like, teenage sons can definitely give it a CW twist. That kind of useful, you know, soap opera right. type aspect that CW is known for can definitely add to that. And it's just, it, it's kind of depending on how they treat those characters, I think, is really, for me, going to make or break the show. Um, they are going to have a new Superman costume, so that will be, that will be revealed. Uh, and, uh, we know that Lana Lang is going to be a character and there's going to be a bit of a love triangle, uh, not only between Lois, Lana and Clark, but also between Lana's daughter and, uh, the, the two teenage sons. So wow. that's, that's going to have a lot of drama right there but this seems to be another one of those is on, on par to be one of those really fun dc cw shows so yeah i i'm excited and the cast is is really enthusiastic as well and that goes a long way so yeah this should be this should be a fun show man it sounds like it i mean there's Boy, there's a lot to take in there. I mean, for starters, we, we'd already had some hints about the, the love triangle between Lana, uh, Lois, Clark. But then also, um, you know, she's married. And I believe I want to say he's either like a bank or firefighter. I can't remember if he works in a bank or if he's a firefighter. Uh, Those are the two things I feel like. I, I thought were his careers. I could totally be way off on this, but it was like he had a good job. He was a good, upstanding guy. He's kind of a, you know, uh, a hero in the eyes of a lot of people. Like, a, you know, a, a, I thought like a daily hero. But then, you know what I mean? You've got Clark, who's an, a newsman, and then his alter ego, who's the biggest hero. 
<laughs> so I remember I remember there being like a series of layers like that. I could be way off on the whole fireman thing, and I don't know where the bank thing comes from. I think it's just like, no. I think you're onto something. They, ah, man, uh, it's killing my memory uh, because they folks. You'll have, have to go back and watch the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't remember specifically. They did mention though that he had a good job, but I can't remember if they actually specifically said yeah, I can't what it was. Directly. Um, yeah. But I do know that we knew about them. But what's a new development, which I, I love that you've brought up now, is the idea that they have a daughter and that there will be a love triangle that Clark can relate to in some ways, because I'm sure he wasn't the only one, as it's shown in comics, pining after Lana. She's also the unrequited relationship. He eventually finds Lois, who is his soulmate. But there's always that element within drama and romance about you know the the road not taken the love never fulfilled what is that sort of longing equal to over time for either or both of the the people who are involved and the history that they have the fact that in comics it was lana that he revealed his powers to that he took in his arms and flew up into the sky and you know what i mean there's there's a, a connection to his origin and history that lois and- wasn't part of that <laughs> yeah and the show takes place in smallville uh so you can't i don't think you can have a superman show based in smallville without lana lang so right it, she <laughs> it would definitely feel lacking if she wasn't part of that i i totally agree and i think you brought up something important to keep in mind as well this is going to be not just about clark's history with lana but about clark's history with the town who he is uh, what people know about him based on, you know, all the stories we'll get to discover, that Lois will get to discover, that he can teach to the boys about his experiences. I, man, this this sounds like a lot of great stuff for us to, to enjoy. Um, I, I like this new dynamic with uh, Lana's daughter and Clark and Lois's sons and, and how that's going to be portrayed. I think you've really keyed into something and that's going to be a big make or break for this. How well do you execute that? How authentic does it feel? How um, appropriate is it to the overall story? How do you, you know, connect these ideas and then also tell a story about, I mean, Superman's still going to be Superman. <laughs> and he's yeah. still going to have a relationship with Lois, but they're also going to have to navigate being parents and Clark facing some of the issues that he had when um, he originally had feelings for Lana. And now what it's like to be married with the woman he loves, but also knowing that there's, you know, someone potentially still attracted to him and, and a history there that a lot of great pieces that when done right, man, it, this could be a uh, this could be one of those shows where it's like, I, I'm not going to take a bathroom break. I'm not even going to pause it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to finish the show and then suffer the consequences. later. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, man, that's huge. Um, so luckily you guys built in some ad breaks. But after that, you uh, you shifted right into so many great shows that we've already had a chance to actually see um, and and know so much about. I mean, man, Stargirl really amazed me with season one. You got a chance to be a part of that panel. Uh, how are they feeling from response from people from the season being complete, you know, and also sort of maybe getting to enjoy a, a nice pause instead of an extended break like a lot of the other shows? Yeah, they they are. uh they're, they were happy about it. Um, and they, you know, a lot 
uh, we talked about how excited they are that they know they're going to have a second season. So that that was great. So, uh, you know, they were all excited about that. Um, and Who was available to hang out for the panel? You know, uh, was, I'm, I'm guessing Breck and maybe. Yeah, Jeff Johns. Um, nice. The actress who plays Dr. Midnight uh, and actress who plays Wildcat, uh, Amy Smart, uh, was uh, was there who plays Barbara. So, yeah. And what I found kind of cool about this panel that I didn't, you know, and I've seen the whole season, but I, I it just missed me that Leah Thompson directed an, uh, an episode or at least one episode that she was the moderator of the panel. So, huh. And I've always been a big fan of hers, and she she just loves the show too. So she will. It looks like she might be back to direct, um, uh, you know, episodes in the future. But wow, they are that's all, huge. Yeah, and, and and there was just a. If I could sum up the Star Girl panel, it would be youth, because all these you know, besides Leah and Amy Smart, you had all these young actors and actresses that are just oh, and also. Um, uh our man he was there too um the nice. new our man um and he was talking about how he wants to go and visit all the national parks in the country and things like that just, they just had this youthful enthusiasm that was really really fun to watch um and jeff johns gave um a little you know little hints that they might be including more characters and somebody brought up green lantern because in the first season there's a scene where you see the the green lantern and he wouldn't confirm it but you know josh and i are both hoping that we can get to see green lantern in uh in season two so 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 we'll see yeah i've got some of my own like there's a part of me that wonders if uh oh goodness i'm gonna totally blank on the brother's name um i want to say it's not frank uh it's gonna come to me Anyways, uh, Pat Duncan's son, when when he meets Barbara and they get married, uh, I feel like there's a chance he could be like a Johnny Thunder. There's a there's a part of me that really wants to because, you know, about you, you've noticed you've seen the season. Uh, you've seen the, the pen, the giggling. Yeah. Uh, Thunderbolt pen. Yeah. That seems like something that's impish and perfectly impish to go with his character, who's this great sort of, you know, just I mean, the kid eats <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly like a teenage boy should. And yeah. he's just got this uh, irascibility to him. Maybe that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he just seems yeah. like he's and I loved his moment when he pops in and he's like, bang. And I won't give away the scene, but he's like, so can I be in the JSA now? Like, there yeah, was right. something brilliant about how he's like, I pay attention. I'm no <laughs> dummy. You guys aren't trying to tell me stuff, but I know what's going on here. So I, I love the idea of who will get to see that because, um, man. If there's one thing that's been so much fun, it's been watching a new Wildcat. It's been struggling with this Hour Man who's not like the classic Rex, and yet at the same time, for all the right reasons, he's his own Hour Man. And then, I mean, Dr. Midnight has probably got to be like one of the best, you know, um, emotional attachments to that show. The, the way that we've seen her come out of her shell, connect with Chuck, and then have that tragedy at the end of the episode, you just... You're looking forward to that reuniting and, and that chance for things to sort of get back on. And 
But, man, possibilities of a Green Lantern. I love the hints. Uh, I love that we could see some other characters. I want Sir Justin to come back on a flying horse. That's just all I, I'm really looking yeah. forward to. On some, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was some magical <laughs> stuff with him. The actor was, I mean, they, they have such a great cast. I was so proud of the show, realizing that the reason they delayed was to get all these things right. And they did. And they did a wonderful job. I mean, man, that's a great pedal to check in on, man. And you know what I'm going to finish with before we move on to the other one is remember when we first saw that little like 10 second preview and it's just the four giggling sort of in a row of lockers and they were they looked so young. Remember when we were talking about that youth and that energy? I love that that's something that isn't just created for the camera, that when they're hanging out on a panel that you can see all of that uh, just as part of the people that they are you know and that's that's you can't fake that you can only create it so much but if it comes out of you naturally and what a gift you know to the show to the audience that's huge man that's awesome um now we got a little bit you know quirkier darker wilder less you know 3d with uh, the next panel which was doom patrol i i love this show we had such a great interviewer uh, when we had Rita, <clears throat> Miss Farr on, and what a, what an awesome just opportunity that was. But now you get a chance to have the whole panel. I mean, Matt Bomer was hosting some stuff. Uh, it seemed like Doom Patrol was getting around a little bit, like being in a lot of places. What was it like having them all together? Did they have the whole cast? What? Tell me about it. Uh, well, Brendan Fraser wasn't there, but I, I think pretty much everybody else. Uh, we had Abigail Shapiro, who plays Dorothy. We had uh, Diane Guerrero, who plays Crazy Jane. Um, uh, Rita, who we interviewed. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, mind part on her name there. Um, uh, but she was there. We had some people from the writing room. And when we when uh, when when the panel got over, uh, was over, and Josh and I were doing our little follow up, I said that, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of the scene in the Simpsons where Bart goes to the mad magazine offices to try to, to see what it's like. And he gets like a quick glimpse in the door and everything's going crazy and silly <laughs> and funny. And, and then that's how I kind of always envisioned the writer's room for doom patrol. And from what I can tell from this panel, that's kind of exactly, you know, exactly what, what the case is. And it, it was kind of cool to, to hear the actors talk about how, you know, they, they, interact with each other, especially in um, Diane Guerrero's case, because she has to play all these different personalities. And she, and her and Abigail talked about how much fun it was when she was playing um, like the child personality. And they had a lot of interaction with Dorothy and them kind of playing and how kind of fun that was and how fun it was to work together with things like that. So, you know, it, I, I guess my takeaway from Doom Patrol is that it was – it's every bit as crazy and fun as it looks. And once again, it's one of those things where it's so nice to see the cast get along because it's just, you know, that, that helps the show so much. It's such an important part. Yeah. It makes the chemistry so much, you know, more enjoyable for everyone. It just feels so, you know, smooth and natural and, yeah, that that's. I mean, <laughs> we were lucky enough to get the inside track in our interview, and now to to hear what you got to experience, which is the the whole group together and sort of just, you know, having a lot of fun and 
keeping it as zany as the show feels and showing you like this is where it comes from we're just kind of goofy and we have a great time and here's some stories about how we did it that's that's huge um man that sounds like a really good one i I love the fact that right now there's still some fandom up that i can try and go back and catch some of these and then try to sleep and figure out which wins out We'll, we'll we'll see now uh the next panel titans ended up being an extended something you know bigger uh what did you get to find out in this extended panel character story what's going on you know what i got a confession we did not go to that one we jumped right into um the the following one which we did not watch the titans one okay Um, yeah so that i haven't had a chance to go back yet but um Josh, if you want, you could just edit this. <laughs> okay, but you did get Pennyworth, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, well, let's talk Pennyworth, man, because this is a show that uh, I, I can't get my wife into all the show. I don't know about you. Does your wife watch a lot of these shows? Are you? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because with all, with all the streaming stuff and all the yeah. different platforms, there's like a certain handful of shows that we will watch together. And a lot of times that just just the way it shakes out that that's not necessarily a lot of comic book shows. <laughs> yeah, like, that happens. <laughs> because, you know, when you commute to work on public transportation, because, you know, work in, in in New York City. So you do have a lot of time that you can catch up on your viewing because you just have that time because you're not driving your your passenger. So you can, you know, download some videos and, and catch up that way. So that's that's a lot of what we do, I think. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, Pennyworth is one of those shows that I put on and, uh, you know, I, I, I live with my wife, but we also, uh, back almost a year ago now, uh, asked my mother-in-law who's in her mid seventies to, to move in with us just so we could have her close by. Uh, she's had both knees replaced. She's had some medical issues as well. So it's just like this, like, you know what I mean? This environment where it's the three of us, which can sometimes make viewing choices a little interesting. Thankfully, my mother-in-law has lived kind of a wild life, um, and so she's open to some pretty crazy shows. And I put Pennyworth on, and I got all three of us hooked. Like, it took one episode, and everybody was like, well, are we watching the next one or what? Like, there was this sense (laughs) of, like, that was good, keep playing, and repeat. And, I mean... There were some shocking moments and, you know, I think overall everyone kind of looked at me like, so this is what DC Comics is doing these days? And it's like, yeah, ain't it cool? And I, I love the fact that you got a chance to catch this panel and, and hear what what it's like for the group after that first season. Uh, of course, they're like a lot of productions, you know, unable to actually get involved in a lot of, you know, physical work towards a new season. But getting a chance to hang out with everyone because I haven't caught a panel with these guys before. I haven't really even caught a lot of interviews. So whoever you did get to see, that must have been a really great experience. And I'd love to pass back any great tidbits to uh, to the wife and the mother-in-law. Well, uh, the, the two things that uh, I took away from this panel was that um, – we we are going to get to see Lucius Fox next season, so um, that's that's going to be cool. Uh, that's he'll, awesome. he'll be a part, yeah. So, and the second part was uh, the showrunner kind of said, "Look, is one of the one of the fan questions was, are we going to see more of like Batman characters and more DC related 
stuff in in series and he says there'll be easter eggs and there'll be people who get it and people who don't so that that makes me interested (laughs) to see if i would get those because i would like to think that i would but you know hopefully i wouldn't miss some of those those little easter eggs that he puts in there so that'll be kind of fun to see i hope somebody like puts up a website like all the pennyworth easter eggs that you may have missed kind of thing um so that's going to be fun. And um, uh, the actress who played uh, Martha Wayne, who plays Martha Wayne, talked a lot about how fun it is to play the character because there's not a lot of background in the comics. She's you don't really know a lot about her other than when she dies, you know, in front of Bruce and all that. You, you know, there hasn't been a lot of exploration of that character very much. So it's kind of fun because it's kind of like going in with a blank slate and you can kind of do what you want. And I, I think that you can kind of see that in her portrayal of the character. Yeah, there there is a lot. I mean, there's a lot to really enjoy about Martha Wayne in the series. There's there's just something great about her personality and about the way that she begins in one direction and then has a couple of wild experiences in that show. And by the end of it, you're like, this this person has seen some stuff, stuff you can't unsee. And then the other stuff that they're still trying to remember and recover and process. Uh, wow. It, it, it leaves a, a lot of potential for where we could see the character go next. And uh, I feel similarly about Thomas. Like we know a great deal about certain things like about his philanthropy and about being, you know, a doctor, but this other side of him, you know, that we discovered how he handles situations, what kind of a company man he was at the time, or at least in this storyline, is really new material to enjoy. And then, of course, trying to discover how this relationship will become the foundation for, uh, you know, the Batman who eventually comes from them. And that's that's a really interesting thing to sort of just witness and and she's been such a huge part of it. So I love that you brought that up. And it. it Am, am I wrong? Was there also a potential hint that, that Baby Bat is making an appearance soon? Um, maybe. Let me okay. put it that way. <laughs> gotcha. I, I like that there's like a, we don't know what we're. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, man. That could be a lot of, that could be, you know, an interesting direction to have us in if it pops up as early as season two. And even if not, when it does, uh, that's that's something you know is coming, but how to look forward to it, what to expect, uh, man, that could be a lot of, <laughs> I like the potential behind it. Um, and then you also got a chance to, to check out the Lucifer panel as well. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I like this that response. Was, Tell me what you, what this that was, I think my, my favorite moment of fandom part two was the little clip they showed from the musical episode of Lucifer that's going to be coming up. It, I mean, Josh and I were laughing the whole time, pretty much. I mean, it was <laughs> it's if you if you have a chance, check that out. It, it's it's worth it. So okay. yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the um, to the the musical episode. So yeah, that that's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, and and. Anything else that you you know took away from the the Lucifer panel? Any uh, conversations, discoveries? I mean, also, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've been talking about on the the weekly podcast about things like, you know, how it keeps extending seasons, and are they really just going to go for ten, but they're just sort of doing it season by season, or is this really well, the last season? Right now, they wouldn't they wouldn't confirm 
a seventh season, but you know, for right now, it's still going to be the end. But I, I said uh, to Josh, this is the show. You know, this is the show that will never die. So, you know, who knows? There could definitely be a season seven. But you know, we were thinking like, wouldn't that be funny if they announced the season seven on the panel? Uh, but, you know, but, but no such luck. So, okay, so okay. we'll have to see. We'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, I mean, this this show has got so much fan love and fan support. And, you know, not only was that my favorite moment of Fandom Day 2, but that seems like it had a lot of online traction. It seemed like that clip was shared a lot. And I know that our Slack channel, people were chatting <laughs> about that more than anything else. So I, I think that that's, if that's any indication, you know, maybe we'll have no choice but to get a season seven. So we'll see. That's huge. Now, it's, it's, it's a big possibility we want to hope for, but uh, your next set of panels actually moved into some great stuff we've already had a chance to enjoy and that we know is coming. Uh, for example, Teen Titans. I mean, what Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo have done with not only Raven, but now Beast Boy is really sort of just getting the attention of so many people in DC Comics, so many fans. I feel so, I mean, we're, I, I, I couldn't stop last night when Josh brought up, because I was like, dude, all this stuff that she told us about, Kendra, you got to listen to this interview, this was blah, blah. <laughs> I love that we had the chance to talk with her before, and Josh mentioned, hey, she's coming back, like, she wants to come back on, I, I, I can't remember it, when we'll get a date, when we do, we'll trust me, folks, we'll let you know. But I would I love the idea of a follow up with her. And I'm curious what we can learn from the panel you caught that we can follow up with the next time we have her on. And Josh said we might even get Gabriel Piccolo. So uh, keeping look, those things in mind. Right. So yeah, keeping I, that in mind, you know, how does that play into the panel you saw and, and what you can tell us about it? Because there, there's got to be more than just one or two takeaways. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just well, first of all, it's like I, I can't wait till she comes back to the podcast because I wasn't able to be on when she was on the first time. So uh, I definitely want to to be able to talk to her and to have Gabriel Piccolo. And that would be amazing as well. Cause it's just so it, it's so much fun to see how they enjoy working together and that that they have such a groove that they can work with and they enjoy each other's company so much. You know, he she talked about how he came and stayed with her family for a little while and how much fun it, you know, fun it was to, and enlightening it was to watch him sit at the kitchen table and, and, and do these pages. And, you know, it's, it's funny. And, and he, he, he got like five or six calls from DC saying, Hey, would you want to do this? And he thought it was fake. So he didn't so he didn't really respond because he didn't think it was real so finally he got convinced that it was real and he he, he talked a lot about you know going back to the flicky fashions um how he designed their wardrobes and how much of a sneaker head he is and how in, in designing the shoes and, and you know and things like that and one of the things that that strikes me about both of those books is the color schemes uh, the use of like the greens and the teals and Beast Boy and, and the uh, blues and, and, and Raven and how with this new book that's coming out, the Beast Boy Loves Raven, how they're going to kind of integrate those color schemes. And I think that's going to be um, a, a really cool aspect to 
to the art. And I mean, this it looks like the she she also mentioned that you might see other Titans characters in the Beast Boy Loves Raven book. So I'm excited about that because she's really building a a cool little Cami Garcia Titans universe over there in these <laughs> books. And I, I just, I'm, I'm excited to see her explore more and more characters. So yeah, it was just, it, it was just a, a real fun panel to, to, you know, hear them talk about the process and, and collaboration and things like that. That's huge. I, I do remember Cami mentioning that that was like one of the things, cause I guess he got their attention because he would draw different characters and post them on social media. And the response was so big that DC finally was like, hey, we we want to, and he, one, apparently he didn't check his email for like a month, <laughs> which was hilarious because Kelly's on. She's like, okay, well, that's a lesson for me. I'm terrible about checking my email. Oh, man. <laughs> like, what if DC wanted to get a hold of me and I blew it because I was too, you know, disinterested in my, and, uh, and that, yeah, the phone call thing about how he still didn't believe it. So I love that that's a story that, you know, you could hear from his own um, sort of viewpoint and and what that was like for him and how he described it but then also the the really important things you mentioned i mean dude the flicky fashions aspect on the sneakerhead stuff like i feel like you could totally do an episode just on piccolo and shoes and tights you know what i mean like what we've seen what we can look for how should we do nightwing shoes how should you know what i mean like all um so there's there's some great you know just Great material right there. I can't wait for you. Folks, when Felicky fashions hit, trust me, it's going to be like a bomb. And it's going to be like a fashion <laughs> bomb, baby. It's just going to be ba-boom. So get ready for that part, for starters. Uh, and then I also just like this idea that you mentioned about the color schemes in each. And then how there's going to be this great approach on the new project, which perfectly set up. And well done. This, I, you know, the Beast Boy Loves Raven that's going to combine these two bring those colors in and then as you mentioned add a little bit of intrigue with the possibility of other titans characters being seen either actively or just in the background what a fun little where's waldo sort of experience for for fans you know just to see how that actually plays out in the book uh sounds like a great panel sounds like a lot of fun um i can't wait to talk more about it with hopefully both of them when josh gets them on soon uh, stay tuned for that one folks because it's going to be big <laughs> I mean, really that's huge uh so not only is that a big thing that we're looking forward to but man john ridley and the other history of the dc universe is one of those projects that really has made a lot of people stand up and notice and we recently got the review copy, uh, DC Comics News. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, um, but the Represent book. You or did you get a chance to hear about that one, Brad? The it's the it's a bird story, and it's about the gentleman who uh, had a unpleasant experience with someone while he was bird watching in Central Park. Oh, I know of the story. But I did not yeah, know that there was actual they did a book about it. Of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Represent apparently is going to be a, a showcase type of environment for underrepresented uh, writers and artists to feature their work. And that's the first issue features a story about that person's experience. And I guess starting out with as a kid with binoculars and getting into bird watching, and then as an adult in, in a story that we now know from national news. Um, 
So I was really sort of intrigued knowing that we've just gotten a glimpse of that. And then it's just in, what, November that we get the uh, other history of the DC Universe. What a panel to drop in on. I mean, what, what was your take, man? Yeah, man, I I cannot wait for this. Um, he talked about um, one of the inspirations being a history of the DC Universe series that came out you know, probably – Oh, I don't know, maybe 1988. They may have said the year, I'm not sure, but it was around that time. And I remember actually buying those issues in the store, and I loved how they were put together, and they were so informative. And I thought that they can take that and uh, use that same approach with um, these kind of characters that have been underrepresented. I I can't wait to read it. It's going to be super informative and uh, something that should have happened before now. You know, I don't think we should have waited. We had to wait this long before we get to hear about some of these characters in ways that we haven't heard before. Um, and you know, I think they mentioned that it's going to start with um, Black Lightning. Uh, and I guess we're not going to be hearing too much about John Stewart, which um, which is interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, this this is this is just going to be uh, an incredible series. The artwork is going to be. Amazing. I think that some of the things I'm looking forward to most on the comic book front in the next, you know, the next few months and early next year is, is definitely this John Ridley stuff. Between this and the Batman series, I'm just, yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah, and with good reason. I didn't get a chance to catch this live, but before we hopped on today, this is one of the ones that I was able to tune into. And there was a really intriguing thing that that came out of that discussion, which was why it starts with Black Lightning. Apparently the series opens with Black Lightning. It's set in the 70s when he first appeared, the first black superhero for DC Comics to to be not only present, but um, so active. And just this, like he described it as like a you know, bolt of lightning, a thunderbolt, something that was just like this raw explosion of power. And to take that perspective and then move into Katana in the 80s um, and that... This is something important also because I remember later uh, Josh and I were talking with Kendra about some of the elements that led to uh, Death in the Family, which is a panel we'll get a chance to talk about, and um, what the time frame was like as well, like what the kind of like energy, atmosphere, spirit of the country was, you know, grittier comics back then, you know, so many different storylines that had to deal with realism and this and that. And one of the things that Ridley brings up is that in the mid 80s, there was this huge fear that uh, Japan had uh, influenced American culture through not only uh, Japanese uh, nationalist citizens who were living here, but also Japanese Americans. And there was this feeling, the sense in America in the mid 80s that Japanese Americans in Japan were going to take over the country. Do you do you remember that sort of like? you know, philosophy, this idea of like this cold, emotionless corporate sort of takeover content. It was really big in science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. And one of the biggest examples of that um, was the uh, Michael Crichton novel. Um, I'll just give you one second because I want to I want to get the title right. You brought that up and that's the first thing that. Don't worry, man. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. And, and also movies like um, Gung Ho and things like that yes. with Michael Keaton. So, yeah, I mean, that was 
that was a huge. They thought they were going to buy all, you know, all these American companies. Yeah, and how it's like now in the story that he'll be telling about Katana being brought over by Batman, uh, you know, a citizen who is here to a different country and what that experience is like with all of these stereotypes that were being, you know, sort of demonstrably uh, expressed by people who were uncomfortable or afraid and saying, oh, well, there's this cold, emotionless calculating and all of these different things that were being applied and then what her experience was like. And then it moves into Mao and, uh, oh, goodness, Karen, right? You've got, um, his name is totally escaping me right now. I've, I've got it on the tip of my tongue. I can see him. I want to say Signal, but he's not Signal. I know he's he's Mal Duncan, but uh, and Karen, who you know is Bumblebee from Teen Titans. Yeah, they did bring up Bumblebee. You know, and the idea that he felt that Karen was used really well, actually, like she was this smart sort of a uh, uh, hidden figures before there was a lot of knowledge about those characters from NASA, but that she was this smart, strong very active character, whereas Mal Duncan's character never really got utilized. So he wants to tell the story about both of them because they also represented a healthy uh, relationship, which wasn't something that was seen in comics as often between two superheroes. And then it ends with Anissa, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the progeny of Black Lightning, the next generation, also a character who can better describe and, and introduce us to the LGBTQ community and and that sort of direction. So I was really sort of struck by this panel yeah. with this arc that he's taking with it and how he wants to, you know, start from the 70s till now and address all these different periods through the characters and the reasons why. What did you think about all that? I, uh, I like that, uh, that they're bringing Anissa into it because she's such an important character on the Black Lightning TV show that yes. I haven't seen her much in the comics, actually, so I'm, I'm really thrilled to be able to explore her story a little more. I think that's going to be uh, a very fun read. Uh, and that novel, by the way, is, is Michael Crichton's Rising Sun, and it's all about – it was – I mean, I remember reading it back in the day, and it came out in 1992, so that wasn't even that you know, beyond the whole late 80s thing. It was still going on in the early 90s. Yes. But – Anyway, I remember I, that quite often, yeah, <laughs> but, but thanks uh, for reminding us of that title. It's yeah, a helpful thing and, to keep in um, uh, But yeah, I think that the character choices that he is making is great. And it it's you know, like we're saying, it's very cool to explore it in terms of real history. We're, you know, what was going on in the real world when these characters were introduced and not just within the whole realms of the DC universe, but in the real world at large. And I think that's important as, uh, as well. Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's an important thing that he sort of like pointed out and we can look forward to, you know, seeing the, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s and closer to present day through these time periods and also reflecting. He also pointed out that he's going to be doing a lot of education, which I thought was huge. He's like, if you don't know about, um, oh, God, it was like Securities Act, uh, like 066 or something like that or something. You, did you catch that part where he was talking about there was some legislation that people oh, yeah. at the yeah. time know about? But it, so much time has passed since that it's, you know, you know what I mean? The history has gotten a little murky and oh, yeah. sort of covered up. But there's going to be some really interesting introductions to things that were very prevalent at the time and now have sort of been forgotten through history just because of who you were if it wasn't important to you or it didn't affect you immediately 
that's one of the things too that I'm excited about the series is that I do feel like I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah, uh, uh, and I that also education love is, is going to be half of the fun. Yeah, and it sounded like one of the reasons why this project took so long because they were like from 2018 till now. Why? And he's like, I need to get it right. And I needed to make sure that in my enthusiasm, I wasn't just doing what I wanted and then also making a bunch of mistakes, whether stereotypically or in other ways I'm not aware of. He's like, I need to keep in mind that I'm not a woman and I don't have a lot of personal history that I can connect to when it comes to the LGBTQ community. So I need to make sure that I'm running this through the right sources that can let me know, hey, you're off track here or hey you should know this if you're going to talk about it. you know what i mean i thought right, that was really right. interesting like he got an education so he could provide an education that's yeah, yeah that's a pretty exciting idea um yeah don't let me cut you off man if you're running on an idea <laughs> oh no 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 i was just i'm, I'm gotcha. agreeing with you that yeah, yeah like it's just he's just it's just that it, it's so amazing how seriously he's taking this project and that's really? that's just going to make even make it that much better yeah, it also makes me more excited about the things we can look forward to, not only with his Batman series and what that can show us, but also the fact that you feel like this is also going to be an important voice for the Milestone relaunch. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. these are some great things to keep in mind about what we can see in the immediate stuff we know. But also down the road, that's a universe, Dakotaverse, that I can't wait to go back into. And if all of this is going to be informing it, like, we could have some amazing stories and man, quite an explosion of, of great, <laughs> great comic books designed to make us go broke. And that's okay. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> now, you know, the panel sort of shifted direction after that. We moved really clearly into uh, some upcoming uh, Batman stuff, but more about his greatest nemesis. Um, we're talking about the Joker. First was Batman Joker war and then three Jokers starting off with the Batman Joker war panel. Who was on it? What can you tell us, man? Uh, uh, James Tinian was on there, and the artist, I'm blanking with names. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it was them talking about it. And then they, they did switch to um, the writer of, Na- of, of Nightwing and Dan Jurgens, uh, who I think is the writer of Nightwing, and uh, the writer of Batgirl to talk about the kind of tie-in issues. And a lot, uh, you know, they... they they talked about the design uh, of how great it was to give the artist the freedom to come up with the design of punchline and how punchline was supposed to be kind of a, a polar opposite in a lot of ways of Harley Quinn. And I think that that's shines through. And that's one of the more intriguing things about the character is how, how the personality was put together so carefully and uh you know we're definitely going to get to see more of that character and we are going to get to see a lot more of clown hunter uh down the line too because i was saying you know that that (laughs) punchline takes up a lot of the oxygen in the room these days when you talk about the joker war but we have this whole other character in clown hunter that we're going to see a lot more from so you know i you know there was there's once Joker War is done, they're bringing Grifter back into Gotham City. So in my mind, it'll be interesting to see if those two characters come into some kind of conflict, uh, you know, and when, once once the Joker War is over. So, 
Yeah, overall, this is the one thing about some of these comic book panels. They're just a little bit behind the curve because some of the issues that they were talking about have already come out and they hadn't been released yet when this act when the panel was actually recorded. So just be aware of that when you're hitting into some of the hitting into some of these uh, comic panels, especially one of the more you know the, these more current ones. But um, yeah, did you did you get a chance to see this panel? Was this... No, I haven't. Yeah. In fact, I just clicked on it so I could see who you were talking about. And just to fill in some of the name gaps, uh, yeah. uh, Cecil Castellucci for Batgirl, Batman artist uh, Jorge Jimenez, yes, with, uh, Jorge along with Dan Jurgens or Jurgens, I don't know how to say correctly. And uh, apparently, John Ridley also popped in on this. Oh yeah, yeah, true? he did because well, yeah. That's true. That's right. That's right. Thank you for bringing that up because no um, they they also got into um, the um, the war zone issue that's coming out. It's an anthology of different stories dealing with other different characters in the bad universe and how they reacted to the events. Right. And this is where we're going to get. Yeah, this was huge. This is where we're going to get that first um, view of John Ridley's Batman character that he's writing the series about. So he came awesome. on to to you know, to talk about that and how we're going to get to see that character. So, wow. okay. That's yeah, an important so, thing to keep in mind. You know, yeah. Warzone is going to not only uh, be this great sort of viewpoint of what other characters were experiencing, but then it's going to be the introduction to John Ridley's Batman character who we'll later get to see. So if you're, if you're looking to be uh, on the forefront of that, this, this is a series you'll want to include. Clown Hunter really excites me. The appearance you know, that that great backstory of, yeah, we lost a few clowns over in this one area and you see him just ignite this fire inside of a car and this chaos. And you're like, whoa, this is this is a new response to crime in Gotham. We've seen Batman. We've seen the Bat family. We've seen a couple of other antiheroes, Anarchy and others. But Clown Hunter seems to be uh, a character who now really quickly, because James, is it Tynan or Tinian? Uh, how did he I, say because uh, we hear yeah. it so many ways that i always mispronounce I think it's it tinian is okay. what i seem to remember <laughs> like I, all right i'm obviously bad with names because i did catch someone in the slide channel go and i finally know how to say his name correctly uh, yeah. which now i can't say it correctly because i didn't see i'm gonna have to watch the panel just so i can learn how to say it i don't know what to say about that that's just who i am folks if you know anything about me uh on this show or any of these episodes, you know that I mispronounce names. It's it's one of my superpowers. I, I don't even have to flex to do it. Like, it just comes out. <laughs> uh, you know, and let me preface by saying that, Brad, I, I love the fact that we're getting to, to chat about all this. Plus, you know, Kelly Gaines is going to be hopping on with us soon, which is going to be a lot of fun to, to get another perspective on these things. Um, before we shift into our next panel which was three jokers any last thoughts about uh joker war i mean I, I'm, I'm intrigued with what you've already discussed i i know that some of it's behind the curve but you know not everyone might have caught the part about like punchline is supposed to be the one who wants him to be his worst self compared to harley who is trying to you know bring out the best in him uh and then this you know thing we can think about with other characters during Warzone. Did they mention some others we can look forward to besides uh, John Ridley's Batman? Uh, as far as characters whose perspectives we get? They they kind of drifted over that because a lot of it was with Ridley coming on and talking about okay talking about that. So that was like that was like the main thing. But you know, 
I'm sure we're going to be getting news from that soon because that's that that issue is going to be released uh, pretty soon because Joker War is almost over, so we should be able to get and and the first issue of um, John Ridley series comes out in January, so keep your eyes out because there'll be news about that soon. Nice. I mean, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be more announcements. And the cool thing is, if it's a little behind the curve, then that's going to happen. I'm a little behind the curve because I've been looking for that perfect opportunity to let you guys know that Kelly Gaines is already here, hanging out, muted, ready to drop in with us and talk about all these great topics. Kelly, if you're there and you can hear me and forgive me for that. Hey, how are you? <laughs> No problem at all. I was I was just having a good time eavesdropping, you know? <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, this is what I have to go back and think about. Okay, what did I say? And am I going to pay for it? Uh-uh, exactly, exactly. So, Seth, I don't know if you know what you said here, but it's going to cost you 50 large a week to keep quiet. All right? So, uh, hey. Um, <laughs> Kelly, thanks for having <laughs> I know how to be invisible when it suits me. Um, I, I love this uh, fact that we were able to start out with Brad and I and bring you on. We're, we're talking about these different panels. Um, we're going to move into Three Jokers in a minute, but we were just talking about Joker War. I, I don't know which panels you had a chance to catch. Was this one? And since you were eavesdropping a bit, any responses to the stuff Brad and I were talking about? Because you were just fly on the wall there for a minute. <laughs> so I... um. I didn't get to catch this panel. Majority of the panels I saw were um, earlier on. Or earlier on in the day, we had our own schedules. But a majority of what I watched was the um, the TV show panels. But from what you got, you guys are just talking about. Um, I think it is interesting that some of the news that came out is news we've already heard that just you know it was recorded before it was released. Um, and then as far as Joker War goes. Yeah, I, I did manage to catch a decent amount of, um, I forget what panel it was, but just uh, little tidbits about Punchline um, and about how that character functions as far as the Joker and Batman's universe. Um, and it's it's definitely a character I want to see more of. So I'm excited to catch up with Joker War, and then I'm excited to see what the next, the next big plan is going to be. Yeah, now here's the fun part too. Um, do you know if we pronounce his name Tinian or Tynan? Because I feel like Steve corrected us once, okay. and then every time I go to say it, I say it the other way than I said it last time, and I'm pretty sure I'm wrong every time. Did you Did you catch that? See, in my head, I pronounce it as Tinian, but I feel like no. I feel like it's Tinian. I I, re, I know what you're talking about, and I totally forget which way was the right way. <laughs> it's it's the curse. It's how we're forced to remember his name and yet always fail at our attempt to pronounce it. That's 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 the like epitome of a curse. You can do the one, but you can't do the other. Uh uh-uh. uh. Um. Yep. So Kelly, really quick, because Brad and I had a chance to go over some of these TV panels. I'm going to ask for your, you know, just immediate responses, and we're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire with you, okay? Because the fun part is, too, anything that you recall regarding any of these might trigger something Brad remembers as well. Because sometimes I'd bring up something, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, there's that other thing. And then he would say something, and I'd be like, oh, and you just reminded me. So as I shoot through these, one, 
where did you hop on at? What's like the first show that you got a chance to catch a panel of and and dig down on or watch, you know, Flash, Black Lightning, Legends? Where where did you come into the the streaming schedule at? Um, you know what? I did see all of those, so I think I started off with Flash. Okay. Um, Big thoughts, immediate responses, discoveries, or you know, because we're not producing a lot right now. Were there any like, hey, this is stuff you get to learn about the people behind the characters that's sort of fun and intimate? Any any takeaways on Flash? Yeah, for Flash, I and unfortunately Flash is one of those shows that I'm far from even kind of caught up on. I but forget. I think the uh yeah, it's it's I, I keep telling you guys I'm gonna catch up with that, but then I catch up with other things and I'm like, I guess a flash. I'll I'll get there eventually. But um, I, I did, the one thing that stuck out to me about that was that they're saying he's going to have his gold boots and they have to be earned because that sounds really interesting um, in terms of nice. that he has to earn the gold boots. It's like Dorothy with the ruby slippers and like, you know, you have to be. <laughs> or the trials of Hercules, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, you have to be given these special shoes and they'll be shinier than all of your other shoes. I would love a mission like that. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, going forward from Flash, um, the next panel I think was Black Lightning, which loved the Black Lightning panel, um, loved how they made it very, uh, you know, very current. They talked about a lot of what's going on in the world and why that show specifically seems to, um, you know, hit on topics that maybe other shows can't hit on in the same authentic way. Um, and it, it's just all of the, the one thing that struck me is all of these casts seem to get along so well. They seem to have such a, a supportive, um, a supportive vibe with each other. And yeah, so I, I mean, the Black Lightning panel, I absolutely loved. I really wanted to hop on with Josh for that one, but I was not able to. But that that was a really great panel, too. Nice. Now for, you know, chemistry and, you know, quirky zaniness, I, I have to feel like the next one, Legends of Tomorrow, is just like that's I was telling Brad earlier, I was like, that's a show I think I could be on and just be my silliest <laughs> over the top self. And they'd be like, nice, we should work that into your character. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just sort of the goofiness that they get from Bebo to you name it. That's a show that I can't wait till I've just got some dead time and I'm watching season after season and just being a big giggling fool. What was your takeaways from the panel? Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, and that, that cast definitely did stick out as the one that seemed like they were having the most fun. Um, and it, it really did seem like the sort of cast where like you were saying, you can bring your own edge to the character and they'll be like okay we'll go with that like that's it, it seemed like they were just a bunch of friends who get to put on superhero costumes and run around which <laughs> is one of my dreams i didn't realize until yesterday but <laughs> that is <laughs> that i now have um and you know it's maybe someday but that that does seem like a really fun show and that's another one that i need to catch up on um because i actually not even catch up on i need to start that show because i haven't seen it um but if anything, that was sort of the plus to these panels, having, you know, what is essentially a Zoom call where they're kind of in their own environments, just hanging out like friends talking about the show that they work on. It makes it feel so much more connected and personal. Like now it's almost if I start the show, I feel like I kind of know them. So it's like, oh, yeah, they they get along great. Like it's a it's a very um, it, it just seems like a really positive environment, which is awesome. Um, Kelly, Kelly, I guess, you're, 
Yeah. You're going to have to tell me when you start watching this show, because I'm going to start watching it again at the same time. I'll start at season one, episode one with okay. you. I will laugh my I mean, this was this is such a great show. I I, I can't. I'm like, you haven't been what? What? No. Um, <laughs> wait, what? Um, I I, I want to hear all your thoughts because you have a couple of ridiculous seasons for us to enjoy. Some heartbreaking stuff too, but man, um, I love that you got that from this, and you're like, and I haven't even started watching the show yet, but I can't wait. Yeah, right now, and now it's 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 almost like when you meet a celebrity and then you go and watch a movie or something they're in, and you're like, oh, you're great. <laughs> like it just goes <laughs> full circle in a way. <laughs> that's awesome um now i was excited because i didn't get a chance to see the batwoman um panel but i did get a chance i was telling brad about seeing the uh the uh actors react to fans art of different costumes they had flash and they had javicia and i'd never i mean this is my first experience like even getting to see her hear her uh it sounds like from brad uh, you described it sort of this like bubbling exuberance right man um from the Batwoman panel? Am I capturing that correctly? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And I was just wanting to get a comparison now, Kelly. What was your take? Uh, same sort of feeling from the Batwoman panel? Any other add-ons besides this? I mean, from all I'm getting, she sounds like the most excited person to play Batwoman that I've come across. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she she was so excited. which And that just warms my heart when the people who are actually going to be playing these characters not only have a good sense of the character, but are clearly are, you know, lifelong fans of, of even just the superhero genre. And yeah, she was so excited. And I also liked hearing the, um, the, I guess, producer or, or casting director say, you know, we, we watched her tape and it was immediately like, she gets it. She's like, this is the person that it, there wasn't even really a big, um, you know, it wasn't, it could be her. It could be someone else. It seems like they saw her audition and they were like, that is the person. This is the one. Um, I, and she just seems she seems great. And she has such a firm grasp of, um, you know, not just the character, but the importance of the character um, and the importance of superheroes as a whole. And what seeing, you know, people of different races, people of different sexual orientations playing the superhero means to the world at large so they covered a lot of that in the batwoman panel just saying you know uh the the different reactions that people have had to having this character even as a possibility where it's going to be a black batwoman um a black bisexual batwoman and i i think knowing that that point resonates so much with her is it's a vote of confidence for me because I, i mean we know that ruby rose sort of lost her um, you know, lo- lost her really desire to be in that role. Um, and, and over time, that would have ended up taking away from the character and from the quality of the show. So, yeah, to see someone who is so enthusiastic, who fully, fully understands how big of a moment this is um, as far as the, the sort of history of Batman mythology and just on-screen superheroes, I mean, it's great. Now, for one more TV show, and then I'm going to bring us back to the the part that Brad and I were in, like right in the middle of uh, before we got a chance to bring you on. The uh, Superman and Lois. Did you get a chance to catch that panel, too? I did. Yes. OK. And Brad brought up a really interesting point, which I feel is now going to be part of the lens that I view this show through, which is that um, Lana is part of a love triangle with 
Clark and Lois. But then she is married with a daughter who is going to be part of a love triangle with the two boys. And not only is, you know, Brad, I thought you brought up a great point and feel free to chime in at any point if I forget anything or leave anything out. But the idea of one, how well does the show capture the two boys and the relationship with Lois and Clark? But then also these two uh, love triangles, as you perfectly coined them that will be sort of driving the show in different directions and also sort of be an important component that if they get it right, you've got alchemy. You've just turned something into gold. But if they don't, this is going to be a big problem that will need to be addressed. Did I sort of capture that yeah. well enough before yeah, I get exactly. Kelly's response? Okay, yeah, so yeah, Kelly, uh, tell me your take on this as well. And Brad, you know, <laughs> please you guys got to see this so i'm just sort of asking the two of you like hey we get a chance to get another voice on this just coming back around to this love triangle the importance of it and kelly anything else you caught or took away from the uh lois and clark panel lois and superman sorry yeah i i really like the concept um and the fact that there, there are these two parallel love triangles that is in a way it's it's just sounds fun um, I, I mean, love triangles as, as just even a, a dramatic device brings so much to the table because there, there's so much tension, there's so much conflicting emotion. Um, and, you know, Lois, Clark and Lana is a love triangle that, you know, for the most part, DC fans are familiar with. So to see that play out once um, Clark and Lois are married and have kids is really, really interesting. And on top of that, to see that counter, uh, you know, the counterweight of their sons going through a similar thing, that's, I mean, it's, I like the the comparison of they're going through a similar thing to their parents on their own level, but it's clearly going to be very different types of love, love triangles handled very different ways, um, you know, because it's one thing when it's teenagers going through a love triangle that looks a little bit different than married adults who have kids and responsibilities and you know yeah. a world to save. <laughs> yeah. it's a very different the stakes are not you know and in, in high school it's like well I don't get to go to prom with the person I wanted to go to prom with and I might you know spend some sad nights watching cartoons and eating ice cream in tears I mean that's high school but it, it's different stakes as an adult so if uh you know and like like you said Brad said it can be done really well and it can be done really uh, with a lot of complexity and bring a lot to the show. Or it can be totally uh, botched because it's the I mean, it just love triangles are not always written very well. Sometimes it's just annoying and whiny and you're, you're like, can this third person just get out of the picture? Like, we get it. You're in love. Go home. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I love when my wife and my mother-in-law will be, because I pointed out, you know, just a reminder that all three of us share this house together. And sometimes what I got to put on has to match with them too. But also there will be this moment where either they're both on the side of the married woman or they're totally on the side of the woman he's supposed to be with or she's supposed to be with or, you know what I mean? Like there's sometimes where it's like, oh, we're talking about fidelity. And other times is where it's like, we're talking about true love. 
the marriage isn't, you know what I mean? And there's this moment where like the fans sort of get on one side or the other and that's it. <laughs> and you really <laughs> illustrated that concern for me. And I'm like, Brad, any responses on that real quick? No, no. I've yeah, you're right. It seems like... I'm like, wait a minute. Why in this other story is it all about the fidelity? And they're like, well, that's what it's about. In I, this show, it's about, you know, love. <laughs> I think what that demonstrates is just that there are certain biases or narrative direction that the writers will push you in to feel one way or the other. And, yeah. and generally that way you're pushed to is how it's going to end up. So, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's, my, that, that's my statement on that. Yeah, gotcha. totally Kelly and responses. Problem, because I I think I I've definitely seen or read shows, read see I've either seen seen shows or read stories with a love triangle that's a lot less clear. Or like when I was in eighth grade or ninth grade, I read the Twilight series, and I mean I I talk a lot of smack about that series now, but I remember at the time being so torn between like they. In the first book, they really make you lean one way. And in the second book, they really make you lean the other way. And then in the third book, they make it an even split. And by the time the fourth book comes around, you're like, I don't even know what I want. <laughs> it, I mean, it can really go, it, it can go in a lot of different directions, but it, it does depend on how the writers want to frame the story. Nice. That's really important to point out. Thanks, guys. That was that was a fun thing to sort of get your takes on, because it's something that I've even noticed recently. Um there was the old show Alias from back in 2000. And yeah. I remember seeing a little bit of the first season and then that was pretty much it. My life kind of went into a fun upheaval for a while and television just wasn't a priority. Um, I know, I know anybody out there shocking gasps, relax. It's okay. <laughs> I got back into the world, but you know, there's times where you're just like, look, there, there, there was more going on for me. Um, and I just, that was it, but I got my wife to watch it recently and it's been sort of fun to watch how, you know, um, these takes on the characters, there's this triangle going on, you know, with one of the characters and they're like, oh, but that's not, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be this story is supposed to go this way. And you're like, really? Okay, let's let's check that out. Because in this other story, it went a totally different way. It's a lot of fun for me to, to think about how we can see Superman and Lois play out. Um, now, pulling away from the TV stuff, which I'm, I'm going to go back to, I promise. But Brad, I know I've got you for a finite amount of time. So I yeah, I'm going to have to jump off here soon. But, yeah, uh, I know yeah. that I get a chance to hear a little bit more from you about, uh, you know, you went from the Joker War, but another panel we were just talking about, and Kelly, I, I want to get from you all your takes too. Batman Three Jokers was a panel that, you know, you got a chance to sit down with Josh on, tell us what you guys saw, tell us what you guys talked about, uh, what can we learn about this panel? It looks like it was a pretty interesting one, Jeff Johns, Jason Fabok, um, and more about this Three Jokers idea that we're you know, started. I've got issue one. It's been fun. What's what's coming? Uh, well, you know, one thing that I love that Fabok talked about was how and, and Jeff Johns, too, how they kind of wanted the 80s feel to how the Joker looked and kind of the art overall. And I think that's one of the things that draws me most to the book is it does it, it does feel like that killing joke era and i know we're dealing with the three different jokers but but the art reminds me of that specific era and it just is such a nice 
retro callback, but still such great art. And we did learn that these are not three Jokers from like different parallel universes. Jeff Johns wanted to keep it like a more grounded story because he said he never really had had a chance to tell that kind of uh, Batman story. So that's what he wanted to do with this. And so that was kind of an interesting. So that still kind of leaves a mystery. Exactly. Who are these these three Jokers? So that was you know, that was that was kind of interesting. That's really intriguing. I love that he shot down the rumor. I had heard that there was a theory that had been expressed by fans and that this was one just like taken out. Like, nope, sorry, yeah. it doesn't fit what we're doing here. Um, right. Kelly, did you get a chance to catch this panel? Did you have any thoughts uh, from either catching it or, you know, what we're just learning from Brad about, you know, what they saw? I didn't get to catch the panel, although I, I do actually like that they're saying this isn't um, – you know, various jokers from different universes or different timelines. Um, it, just because I think to an extent that's such a classic comic book cop out that, you know, when, when you see multiples of characters or when something kind of huge shifts in the main universe, there's always, well, but there was another universe impacting it. Like there's always, it's, it's that idea <laughs> of multiversity, right? Like there's always another universe or another timeline that is to blame for all of the weird stuff that happens in this one. Um, so I, I like the idea that we're keeping it in one universe and we're keeping it, um, you know, more centered. It, if anything, that'll make this really fascinating. Um, and I don't know, as far as there being three Jokers existing in one universe, I, I think depending on how it's done, it will work. I'm intrigued by this, too. I love that you brought up the cop out part. It was like it was going to be a follow up question if you didn't like, hey, what do you what what's you know, why does it make more sense? Why is it so important? But I think you really nailed it with the idea like, look, it's easy to say, oh, well, the other universe, you know, a couple other Earths, we just pluck, pluck, pluck. Here you go. And not doing that, deciding as Brad, you pointed out so well, Jeff John saying, I want to do a grounded story. I want to do something that takes place and has an explanation that doesn't rely on, oh, well, we just pulled some jokers from other Earths and bada bing. Instead, it says, hey, there's something deeper going on, either psychologically or uh, that remains to be discovered. And that when you do understand that, this concept of the three jokers will have a very real physical um, truth to it, authenticity. Right. And that it's not going to rely on, well, it's easy when you have all these other jokers to just pluck out, which means that there's going to have to be a component in the story that explains why these three jokers came to be, why there had to be more than one or what it means because there's more. You know what I mean? It requires a deeper degree of responsibility on the part of Jeff Johnson. I think you guys really hit on something interesting there. I'm. I'm intrigued to hear more, see more, and curious to to find out as a writer, like, okay, did it did it fly? Like, do I buy this? The reason that's given for the three jokers? Because right now, we're still just in the middle of a mystery. You know what I mean? We don't even know where these guys came from and why each one is different or how there's three. <laughs> that's going to be a huge thing to unlock. Uh, Brad... The next panel after that was a take a tour of DC's death metal metal verse. Uh, man, what what can you tell us? Uh, I didn't get a chance to see this one. Kelly, really quick. Did you get a chance to see this one? I did not. No. 
Okay, so Brad, you're going to have to be our tour guide, and then uh, we'll kick it over to Kelly for responses initial. Brad, man, what was this? Uh, you know, this is one that, you know, I, I just today finished and posted the story about that we're getting three more one-shots in December. That wasn't really discussed in this panel because this is one of those ones that was recorded before. So this mm, is one of those okay. ones that's a little bit behind the curve. So I, I think a lot of the stuff that was touched on with this was stuff that we had already talked about. Um, okay. But but having the you know the teams behind it and Scott Snyder and and um, Tinian came back and there was a lot of people talking about just you know, some of the one shots that have already come out and the different stories and just kind of how over the top and fun it was to do these stories. And, and that's exactly why it was fun because it was so over the top and how, you know, the, the different dark nights, like the Batmobile and, and the T-Rex and all that. And just, just had a lot of fun with those, the different more like, outlandish aspects of the story the whole bat continent and um talked about the little starro was it the isle of starro or whatever it was called in the, in the bat island and stuff like that so it was just like and overall just like a celebration just how over the top the entire story is mm, okay uh has that been your take kelly like you know have you one gotten much involved with death metal the metal verse these characters or um you know, had a chance to have any exposure that gives you a reaction beyond some of the preview images and things like that regarding death metal, metalverse, all that. So I haven't gotten into death metal yet, um, but I am, I, I would say, decently familiar with the metalverse. I'm still making my way through uh, the initial runner. I guess part for parts of it, it's my second time reading it, but I didn't. Uh, when Dark Knight's Metal first came out, I didn't get all of it. So there are parts that I've read before, parts that I haven't. But, and I, I think I've said this before, this is one of my favorite universes just as a whole because it is so over the top and ridiculous. I mean, I it's the one thing that I'm constantly, whether I have it up on a bigger screen, uh, you know, reading it on DC Universe or I'm reading the book, I just, whoever I'm sitting next to, I'm constantly like, look at this nonsense and they with no context what whatsoever it'll be you know batman riding off on a dinosaur and, <laughs> and, and i'm like look at that batman's on a dinosaur and, and people are just like what in the world are you reading like what is this <laughs> but it's such a fun universe as dark and as foreboding as it is i mean they really did a good job of writing a comic book story that feels like listening to heavy metal because it's just it's dark and it's bizarre and it's it's very loud and you know maybe not for everybody but i am very much enjoying it and they did they did talk a little bit about the soundtrack as well i don't give away any of that i, I should just direct you to watch the panel but uh that was kind of a fun <laughs> discussion uh, as well and with that guys i think i have to hop off of here Understood, Brad. Uh, Thank you, man. As, uh, yeah, as always, it's great, uh, great chat and everything you see with you all. Yep. So, so all right. And uh, real quick, uh, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. You can find me reading, uh, writing news and reviews at DC Comics News. So take care, everyone. Talk to you soon. Such a professional. Thanks, Brad. Catch you uh, soon, man. Thank Bye. you. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs> bye. 
And then there were two. Kelly, thanks for hopping on for the second half here, for being able to, you know, sort of make this a fun thing where I start out with Brad, we get to follow up with you. Um, and it, it's kind of fun for me because I got a chance to catch some of these panels and go back and watch some. Let's go back a little bit to, uh, well, one, tell me about the, the panels that you've seen that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, you know, were you able to catch more of the television, Stargirl, Super, uh, Doom Patrol, stuff like that? Um, take us sort of through some of the, the panels so I can ask you all the fun stuff that goes with it. So I saw pretty much all of the TV ones up through, I think I saw a good chunk of Doom Patrol. And then um, with the comic books, I did get to see the uh, Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo. Um, panel for Titan or Teen Titans. And that one was really fun. Um, and I, we've gotten to interview Cammy on the show before. She's awesome. Uh, I mean, she knows how to get herself <laughs> out of the trunk among many other things. <laughs> like, Definitely. And, yeah. <laughs> she's the coolest lady, but I, I really do love, I, I mean, one, as far as uh, Gabriel Pic- Piccolo goes, I just, I love his whole backstory with how he got into this, that he, you know, is basically a kid who liked to draw the Teen Titans as a fan and got hired to work for DC and ignored their emails for a while because he thought it was a joke. Like, (laughs) I will never get tired of that story because it's like that. It's so relatable and it's so sweet. And it just makes me so happy to see him succeeding and to see him putting out these books that are so well liked. Um, And I also I loved the art that they showed for um, I believe it's Beast Boy Loves Raven. This mm. looks adorable. Looks like, you know, I, I would expect of his artwork. Um, and yeah, just I, I think they're such an interesting team because a lot of creative teams you see, it'll be two, um, you know, two adults who are very much at the same phase in life or, you know, at a certain point. It's a lot more fun to see a woman who's like, you know, I I could be his mom, basically. <laughs> and and the much younger first time in the, the big comics industry artist who's taking direction from her but also bringing a lot to her writing it's just it's it's such a fun dynamic like I feel like I could watch a reality show about them that's pretty uh, I like I like that description (laughs) maybe you can help me out on something because I didn't get a chance to catch this panel I'm hoping to go back and watch some of the ones that I'm just trying to catch up on a long day of traveling yesterday all the right reasons, but just meant that it was hard for me to catch up on much. I jumped on late with uh, Josh and Ken, uh, Kendra later on. I'm, I'm going to get your feedback on some of those. But sticking with this uh, Kemi Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo panel about Titans, one of the things that really intrigued me that um, Brad brought up, and I'd love to get your your thoughts on it, was that he, he spoke to what he really enjoyed about um, Gabriel Piccolo's descriptions and decisions when it came to color choices for both characters. Um, The fact that he's a sneakerhead. And then lastly, that there's a desire to combine the two color schemes into uh, Beast Beast Boy Loves Raven, as well as the possibility of seeing some other Titan characters pop in. So that's a, a lot there, but your responses to any and or all of those, because I thought those were some fun points that I'd love to hear what your thoughts were. I think he is, I mean, really, he just has such a fresh enthusiasm because we're thinking, so there's 
the Beast Boy book and there's the Raven book, both kind of their own storylines initially. We didn't know when they came out that they were going to intersect. Um, so the fact that, you know, as an artist, his job is to bring more life to the story visually and the way that he's doing that is to say, okay, so I'm going to combine these two color palettes. I'm going to combine the two ways that uh, readers are used to seeing these characters into one book where they're both featured and and make it not only story-wise that they're connected, but make a very clear visual connection. I mean, purple and green goes great together. Ask any Disney villain, more or less. Um, I I just, I really, I, I like his enthusiasm. I like what he brings to it. And um, going off the, as far as him being a, a sneakerhead and the style of his Teen Titans, that's what, what drew me to his work back when I, you know, was just seeing posts of it on Facebook you know, however many years ago, he has such a realistic sort of fashion sense with the Teen Titans. And especially I would love to see him do Starfire because the uh, the Starfire outfits that I've seen him draw so far, I absolutely love. She has like this, uh, the, the NASA t-shirt and, you know, little cut off shorts and like a star tattoo. Um, it's, it's so just, it, it looks like what you would see if you were just walking down the street and passing a bunch of teenagers, like it's Beast Boy and Robin dressed like my little brother. Uh, Aww. I mean, like, <laughs> and I mean, this is a kid who now has a collection of fanny packs and makes them work. And I'm like, I, I don't understand fashion anymore. And that right. scares me, but, <laughs> but it's, he just has such a, a youthful vibrance, which I think with a book like Teen Titans is so important. Um, because to an extent you can, you, you can just tell if it's someone who's closer to a teenager's age versus, uh, you know, someone in their thirties or forties or later drawing the Teen Titans, because there's just this current sense of youth that I don't think you can get from someone who's not living it. Like I, I, I probably can't write or draw. I, I definitely can't draw, but I, I probably can't <laughs> write with that same sort of modern, uh, you know, modern feel to what it is to be young. I mean, I can definitely portray the emotions. I can put myself back into the headspace of what it was like to be 17 or 18. And I could, you know, very clearly write what it was like then. Um, but, you know, even we're looking at, so the difference between say me and my little brother is only five years, but in those five years, like his high school experience included a smartphone. And, and Instagram and Snapchat and, <laughs> and streaming services. Like I, I had not, I had a flip phone until I was 21. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's still such a different life, even though there's just, you know, there's that gap there. So I think it's really, really, uh, it, I mean, it's amazing that they found an artist who has a grasp of what it is right now to be a young person figuring themselves out and, to be written then by someone who isn't in the same age range as him, but just understands his artwork so well and is able to take what he's drawing and what he brings to the table and, um, you know, expand on it in a way that it, it just, the whole thing feels very fresh. And again, I would love to see Starfire um, or their version of Starfire show up at some point because her, her character design um the shoes, which it, it makes sense that he's into into sneakers because everything from the shoes to the jewelry to even the little stuff that he puts in their their apartments or their houses or it just it, it's all so perfect and so finely detailed. Um, yeah, I just I, I think 
he he might be one of my favorite artists ever, which is crazy because this is like his first uh, series <laughs> of books. But yeah. <laughs> well, that's a really fun thing to keep in mind. I I, I know that you know we we got the chance to talk with Cami and hear from her. And her description of what his sort of rise to popularity and recognition by DC, just posting those images, which you remember seeing, and and how he captured that that really clear sort of transposition of what you would see on the street to what you see on the page. And if if that's what you can, you know, remember from that moment where you walk across a group of teenagers and they're just hanging out and all the details you can take in and then just move them right onto the page in a natural way. I, I think, yeah, being closer to that and picking up on the details that make all of those uh, moments stand out, all those appearance factors that you'll take in, but at whatever age, you're not going to notice how those details relate so well. And then if you put that on the page in that way, how clearly you capture not only the mannerisms, but as you described it, a starfire wearing a NASA shirt, cut off shorts and a little star tattoo. Like those are all these great little things that paint a picture of starfire so perfectly. And yet also place her in an age bracket that's younger than we're used to seeing her. And yet also a great opportunity to explore what she was like at that time. And in a, in a current time setting, where she has to deal with all those things she just described, like smartphones, streaming, you know, social media access at, you know, 12 or 15, whatever. I don't know what the going age is for accessing, but it seems like it just gets younger and younger. Like I'm waiting for a five-year-old niece or nephew to be like, uncle, look at my Insta. And I'll be like, wow, okay, the world just changed on me. <laughs> what do you have to take pictures of? Right. Come on, man. Like are these like, you know, are you suddenly going to become a toy star for like, you know, the way you arrange your toys in battle scenes or whatever else? I mean, adults are doing it. So it's just a matter of time before kids are, too. Right. Um, so there's stuff like that that I get a kick out. Of. I don't know if you heard, but Josh was mentioning he's trying to get Cammy and Gabriel on for the follow up interview. Oh, I would love that. That would be amazing. Yeah, it would be so much fun to to get them both on, have that conversation. We were really lucky to get the chance to both be part of the interview with her. Brad yeah. was like, man, I just want to get on so I can be a part of that. Because hearing the interview, it sounds like so much fun. And hearing the two of them together, especially after you described the panel, that sounds, man, that sounds like a treat for all of us. Um, did you get to see any of these other um, comic book panels? Because that was the next thing Brad and I sort of moved into. And I actually was lucky enough to just before we hopped on today, watch the John Ridley and other history of the DC Universe panel that they had. Did you get oh, a chance I to catch had some of that? Yes. Um, takeaways, thoughts, initial responses. Um, Brad and I hashed that a little bit, but I'd love to hear your thoughts just um, off the cuff. Yeah, I I am very, very excited. Um, that whole project is just so overdue in a sense. Um, and I, I think to a certain extent, that's always been my one thing with DC is that even though there are a lot of, um, you know, underrepresented or minority characters in the DC universe, they're not that, that visible in a sense. Um, you know, I mean, John Stewart, I know, I know I grew up seeing him as the Green Lantern on the Justice League TV show. Um, but outside of that, I would be really hard pressed uh, and static shock that those were the two growing up, but I, I would be kind of hard pressed to point to 
um, you know, DC characters that I feel really familiar with and I know really well who are characters of color. Um, you know, maybe Vixen to an extent because she was in Justice League 2. Um, mm. And, you know, I like I, I know who Nubia is, but I've never read anything with her in it. So like little things like that. And the fact that they're bringing up all of these, because a lot of the characters do exist. They're there. We just don't see them. Um, mm. And I, I think maybe a year or so ago, I did a little project for DCN where I looked at Native American superheroes in the DC universe. I remember and that I story. Them. It was there. There are a lot. And some of them are really well done, but uh, others are very much not well done. Um, it kind of depends on the the time frame you're looking at. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I love the fact they're bringing this up because it's, I, you guys know, I am such a diehard DC fan over pretty much any other comic publisher, but it is the one thing that DC kind of lacks where if you have, you know, a poster of the biggest DC heroes, okay, Cyborg will be on there. Um, but that's usually the only character of color you're going to get on one of those big lineups. Um, even if you're watching the introduction for, uh, you know, any of the DC Universe shows, it's he's the only character you can really pick out that's a character of color. So I think DC has this huge repertoire of characters that they can use that they haven't dove or dive, dove, whatever. They haven't jumped. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get grammatically correct on that, okay? It's not like, happening. You know Let's move on. <laughs> exactly. Now, one thing that really caught my attention was... Um, I mean, John Ridley, one, really made it clear that the reason it's taken from 2018 to now was about his desire to get it right. First with the story, which I thought was an interesting um, thing to keep in mind, that he uh, is talking about different characters. So one, he's got a story arc where it goes from Black Lightning in the 70s to Katana in the 80s, which really points to a part of history that maybe people don't remember well. And I only remember a little bit because I was just a kid. But the idea of a rise of uh, Japan influence and overtaking of America through corporate and sort of unemotioned or uh, lacking emotion and very um, methodical or strategic way and some some legislation that he's going to sort of educate us about. So he needed to get an education to talk about periods like that that he knew but not well enough uh, to things that he felt really pulled at the heartstrings like Mal Duncan and Karen um, Harold. That's his name. I couldn't remember earlier with Brad, but Harold and Bumblebee and then into uh, closer to modern time through Anissa, who gives us the opportunity to not only carry on the legacy and deal with that responsibility of Black Lightning, but to also be a character who can bring us more closely to the LGBTQ community, how he's not a woman, how he had to make sure that he was approaching both her and Katana correctly, and that he was doing his best to be aware of what he was doing while also talking about the LGBTQ community. So that seemed like a really powerful arc to have this series progress through. Um, so I was curious just on on your takes about, about that, about his process, and then how later he said that it was the art that they were needing next, you know, creating a flow of the art and how it wasn't until they got 
uh he's got a nickname like como um that that the artists that they finally found and match that this sounded like a really amazing process what was your take on all these different elements they brought up and and uh the approach and also this idea that he's going to be educating us in the process sounds really complex yeah i i have so much respect for him for the fact that you know, he had this idea for a project, he had sort of the go ahead, but acknowledged that I, I maybe don't know enough about what I'm trying to portray to do it properly yet and being willing to take a couple of years to do research. Because um, I, I think on a certain level, there is, um, you know, maybe an uncomfortability on the part of creative people, whether it be artists, writers, people who work in television, um, where we all sort of acknowledge that representation is important, but some people maybe don't have or or feel that they're not comfortable enough telling a story from the perspective of someone who's a different gender or a different race because it's it's such a, a scrutinized area right now. It, it can be a little intimidating to say, I'm going to write about something that I haven't lived. But the fact that he's willing to do all of that research and bring bring to light the fact that, I mean, if you're going to create a really complex story um and if it's a story that you're going to ground in reality and especially historical reality where we're looking back at the 70s or the 80s which it's crazy that that's history now but that's that's at this point <laughs> right. <a> historical period <laughs> and it, it does take a very keen writer to look back and say okay i need to know about what the u.s foreign policy with japan was at at the, or during the 80s so that I can really bring something to Katana. I need to know what was going on with civil rights in the U.S. at that point. I need to know how these two things, because that's the, the the big word I, I learned from whatever politics class I took at school was intersectionality. And the fact that you can know one aspect or know one period of history or know one sort of culture really well, but that none of these aspects exist in a vacuum, that all of this stuff intersects. And when it does, it creates a different sort of narrative. Um, and it, so for him to be acknowledging that intersectionality and using it to mold the viewpoints of the characters and mold the viewpoints of this, this world he's, uh, well, not necessarily creating, but giving life to, is really, really uh, fantastic. I, I think that shows that on his part, he's definitely... Um, you know, he's taking this as seriously as it needs to be taken and looking at aspects that, you know, when you, when you think about it, even though we all live as individuals and we're shaped by our individual experiences, the times that you live through shape you too, which I think in 2020, that's clearer than it's ever been that, you know, what, what's going on in the outside world definitely affects what's going on in the inside world. Cause we, I mean, we've been living in quarantine and, and all all the other fun stuff that 2020 has brought to us. But it just it, it really does show um, a, a, a skill to that sort of, of creative crafting. And on top of that, I really um, oh, just lost my train of thought. I was just pondering the the. 2020 things. I can't wait till someone writes <laughs> that comes from 2020, you know, 40 years from now. Um, yeah. That, you know, it's, it's funny sometimes how, if you want to call it the universe works, where he would have loved to have released this three years ago, but 
and who could have predicted the way this year would be? Who could have predicted, um, you know, the things that have happened and the way that our culture has changed, even in, in a 12 month period? I, I think if anything, this book deserves to come out now that this is, uh, you know, an even more pressing time point to sort of highlight some of those issues. Um, you know, so sometimes things just work out that way. <laughs> I think the timing couldn't be better. I think you're right. It, when it works out this way, it feels like it's so much more what we need than what we want. I mean, there's what he wanted in 2018. There's what he's able to do now because it's so much more prevalent in our minds, in um, our conversations. And to do so through a medium which, for the most part, has been witnessing 2020, but now is actually going to be participating in a lot of the conversation that has to deal with the events of 2020, how they relate to our characters, and more importantly, how they can bring such an immediacy to the story that he's going to be telling. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued, too, because this also interestingly tied in a little bit to uh, Batman the Joker War, what we were talking about with the idea of, and I'm not sure if you had hopped in on this point, but Brad mentioned from the, the, the Joker War panel that there was the mention of something called Warzone. Have you heard about Joker Warzone? And um, that through that, we'll get a chance to see the events of Joker War through the eyes of other characters, and one of them will be John Ridley's Batman, which will be the first introduction of that that Batman-related character. I I don't think I got to hear this part, okay. but yeah, that is a, I mean, that is a really fun way to look at a story. I, I It's just a personal thing, but I like that kind of storytelling where you're looking at one event and you see it from one perspective, and then you shift and see, uh, God, what was, there was some movie that I, like, people used to talk about all the time that I think it was hmm. called vantage point where it's uh, someone shoots the president and one person's filming it, but then a bunch of other people were filming it. So they look at all of the different angles and you can see different things about what really happened, depending on whose camera you were looking at. Interesting. Which, I'm not familiar with, but huh. <laughs> I never saw the movie, but I think I studied it in film class. <laughs> not that i had to watch it to study it in film class but uh you know I took the test, but i guessed <laughs> right okay don't don't run into that teacher later as you're pursuing future degrees or end up maybe teaching there because kelly we know you have an amazing future ahead it's going to be fun to see where that that ends up but along the way be careful you know about giving too much away or when you're in the presence of that teacher be like so you never heard a podcast I did about, you know, yeah, your class. I was never on a podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's another, Kelly, we get mixed up all the time. It's like being named Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? There's not, there's more than one and we're not all basketball players. Um, which, yeah, have you ever seen that series where they do the pictures and it's like a famous person, their name, and then another person who's like, yeah, I'm just the average Joe, but I happen to have that same name. And, oh, that's you know, funny. I have not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every once in a while, they'll do shows like that where they're like, oh, yeah, this person's also named Michael Jordan. You don't know them. They don't play basketball. Uh, <laughs> you know, and people <laughs> like Larry. Larry. <laughs> right. <laughs> different life altogether. Um, so, but I was really intrigued by the fact that it's it's a it's a moment that catches my attention because Warzone's job purpose 
is to show us different viewpoints of the events of Joker War and how that's how we get the introduction to John Ridley's uh, character. And then from that, we'll be moving right into a project that's explicitly about showing history through other people. I find this to be a really fun connection because it's like not only is that where we get to see John Ridley's Batman character, but then we also get to move into the other history at the same time. Um, and I thought that was a really sort of fun segue. Like, So this is when you meet a character in a story about looking at things from a different perspective, and then you get to see this writer take that concept and just go with it, you know, take it as far as possible through all the characters we just talked about. It seems like there's more to come down the road too. You know what I mean? If there's that kind of thought and planning for the introduction of the character and then to move into the other history, it feels like what we'll be seeing. Uh, I mentioned this to Brad too, and I'm curious, does that make you think anything differently about the fact that Dakotaverse and Milestone will be coming back and how this sort of similar thinking can inform what those stories and possibilities will look like? kind of seemed like a fun idea. Yeah, I I mean, for one, I am very excited that Dakotaverse is coming back. Um, and I I have to assume that that's going to interlock a little bit more. Um, because I, I think really in the past, I mean, Milestone Comics is something, I, I saw Static Shock on TV as a kid, but as far as knowing about Milestone Comics, even though it, it happened before I was born, basically, I didn't really hear about it till I was an adult and I was watching a documentary about it. And I was like, wow, that's really, that's cool that that existed. Why didn't I know that it did? So my hope now is that we're going to get to see more of these characters show up more often um, in DC continuity. And then going back to what you were saying about the the different perspectives, looking at Warzone and how that can build outward into this whole other storytelling and into this other history. Um, it, it's, if you want to look at it just in terms of comic books, it opens up this really interesting door of what does every other main DC event look like through other characters' eyes? What is, uh, you know, if we look at the different crisis events or, or uh, Flashpoint or anything that's happened in the DC universe, how has that impacted characters that maybe we haven't seen a lot of? And, and where were they while all these things were happening? I mean, really, it opens up this possibility for a whole other universe where you can go back and tell any story that's happened in DC history from a different vantage point and from a different lens that then, um, and I think this was something years ago I read, um, it, it was a, a Marvel miniseries called Truth, Red, White, and Black. And it was about um, a character who had been, the, the Captain America super serum was tested on himself and uh, another, I guess, a platoon of African-American soldiers before it was tested on Steve Rogers. Um, and a lot of the soldiers were dying or were literally exploding or they were perfecting the serum using these men. And it's a whole other take on how Captain America got where he where he is. But it's based in, um, you know, it, it's based in just a different viewpoint and where for him, it's he gets this serum and it's the best day of his life and he can, you know, follow his dream and do everything he wanted to do and be this big this big uh, symbol. But for the men it was tested on, it was not like that. It didn't their their lives, if they even got to live the rest of them out, didn't pan out the same way. And 
I think what I liked about that storytelling was that it doesn't really change the core of Captain America himself. It doesn't change how you think of Steve Rogers. And it doesn't even change the continuity of what happened to Steve Rogers. It just takes that moment in time and expands on it in a way that's uh, more realistic to what has happened as far as military experiments being carried out on, um, you know, on on black platoons. And uh, I think, oh, God, that would have been World War Two with the, the Tuskegee projects that is exactly this type of event that would inform this. So I, I like the idea that you can kind of now go back into other moments and it doesn't destroy that moment. It doesn't really change that story, but it does show you from another perspective, this is why this could have been bad or this is why this could have been good or this is why this, you know, it's... And it, so I, I like the fact that they're starting this universe there, starting it at the same time that we're seeing the Dakota and that it's going to include these kind of bigger um you know bigger concepts yeah and it reminds me of um the fact that when we were on with the author of super soldiers that's one of those stories that he told uh you're gonna hear some snuffling in the background because my french bulldog bruno has now invaded our conversation and he is he is just simply a part of it so if you heard snuffling that wasn't me that was brew um wow he is very sick (laughs) <laughs> dude take some diesel decongestant man feel better um but super soldiers uh the book references that story and I, I i thought that was a great piece of history and i love uh the fact that you brought that up to include in this because i i, I agree that's that's something that ended up deepening the mythos of captain america without actually affecting any of the trajectory of the steve rogers storyline as we've come to know it it just informs more about the history that preceded it, which isn't something that had always been discussed and was given this uh, new complexity because of how it was so comparative to what we know happened historically with the Tuskegee uh, Airmen. So, um, or Tuskegee, sorry, sometimes I pronounce everything wrong. Whether it's names or anything else, I'm just adorable that way. It's one of my inherent superpowers. Now, what I'm intrigued by also is that by talking about this, we have an opportunity to talk about something else I didn't get a chance to see, but Josh did. I think Kendra did as well. And it's the fact that Nubia is going to be coming back into the Wonder Woman mythos and playing a much larger role, Um, that there was a panel that had the chance to talk about that, and it was the reintroduction of the Black Amazonian Queen. Is that something you got a chance to catch and give us any feedback on or, you know, even without that, what was your thoughts on the fact that this is a panel and this is some of the things that, you know, we can look forward to when it comes to another example of, hey, let's let's pay attention to parts of DC's history that haven't received the same attention as others. I didn't get to see the panel, but this and this is one that I really wanted to see. And unfortunately, it just didn't didn't work out with my my time yesterday. But I, I, I've been waiting for them to bring Nubia back into the fold because she, uh, like I said earlier, she's a character that I was familiar with. I knew she existed. I knew a little bit about her backstory, but she just hasn't been present in, uh, I mean, in a, I, I don't think I've seen her in a book as, as long as I've been, uh, you know, as long as I've been a, a regular, always at the shop comic book fan, I don't think I've seen her really in anything that's come out. Um, and again, this is the perfect time for her to make a reappearance because I, 
I mean, you guys know what a huge Wonder Woman fan I am. It is, uh, she is hands down probably my favorite kind of, fictional right? character. Sort of. Right, sort she's, of I mean, I, I I talked about her a little, you know. She, <laughs> I, I'm actually literally wearing a Wonder Woman t-shirt right now. I just realized her face is looking up at me. But <laughs> I, she's, to me, she is such a perfect, a, a perfect metaphor for this, female warrior and just the spirit that she brings to the DC universe and the way she handles, um, you know, conflict differently than, you know, maybe Batman or Superman would. But at the same time, again, it's, it's impossible to create a character that's a monolith. It's no matter how well written Wonder Woman is, no matter how many people can connect to Wonder Woman and see themselves in Wonder Woman, she'll never be a total picture of what it is to be a woman because she's only one it's only showing one story her story one type of story and so I I think it is important to still have really strong female characters of different backgrounds um you know and with different stories that can play into her mythos because Wonder Woman has this really strong mythology of you know the the island of the Amazons and immortality and strength and everything that goes into that but being able to see that costume and that mythology applied to, um, you know, a woman of color is, I, I think, really important because there are things that Nubia will likely inform that we won't necessarily get from Diana. There is, a, a, I don't know the best word for it, but there, there is going to be a more complete scope of womanhood, I think. The more characters we get to see kind of don that, you know, red blue and gold costume and get out there and kick butt I mean it's it's really interesting <laughs> it's really um it, it's just it'll it'll be different but it'll be I think very very poignant that and I mean again Wonder Woman is one of those symbols like I there is somebody who I work with who I, I know isn't into comic books but she has Wonder Woman stuff everywhere because it's She's like, well, yeah, I mean, this is when I'm having a rough day. It's like Wonder Woman just makes you want to do better and try harder. Um, And I I think for people to be able to see themselves in that character. And I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm mixed. And personally, it really would mean a lot to me to see a Wonder Woman of color. Um, And at the same time, you know, people tend to complain like, oh, you know, I don't like it when they rewrite characters or change. But it's not because. Nubia is a pre-existing character who is not Diana. It's not that Diana is being changed. It's that she is a part of this grander mythology with her own, um, you know, her own backstory and her own way of coming into it. And again, it's, uh, you know, like I said earlier, DC has this huge repertoire of really well done characters of color that they just don't use. And I mean, for Nubia, I think just it's being able to see her in that uniform or in, you know, the kind of classic Wonder Woman uh, coloration and look is so important because it's such a power symbol. I mean, it's it's something that someone in my HR office puts on their wall just to get them through the day. Like, it's a powerful symbol. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see Nubia come back into the fold. I am, too, and I'm really excited for the fact that um, have you been following the recent Wonder Woman storyline? Yes, I have. I'm not I don't think I'm all the way caught up, but I'm close. I think I'm maybe four books behind, I want to say. I'm looking at my bookshelf okay. here. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, they recently, and uh, so I mentioned this already on the uh, the, the uh, live stream last night with Josh, but, um, and I don't want to spoil this for you, so how can I mention this delicate, how can I mention this appropriately? Oh, here comes Bruno. Hi, Bru. You're part of the show, buddy. He just hopped on the bed using his ladder. Yeah, exactly. Hi, Bruno. Hi. You what? I can hear the grumble. <laughs> Yep. Um, so uh, they recently did something that provides um, a new perspective on whether or not there's only Themyscira. And maybe, I don't know, I don't, I'll let you decide if I need to say more or if you're okay with that mystery until you discover it. But they're opening, like you really pointed out, okay, brew, okay, rumble. Um, you really pointed out something important, which is the idea that Warzone is, is like a doorway into the other history. And I feel like what they're doing with Wonder Woman right now is also a new doorway that can show us that there's more to the Amazon history. They've recently been talking about some ideas like, hey, there's parts of Amazon history that are oral tradition. So there's an idea behind whether or not the story that's been passed along is the only narrative. It gets into the Valkyries and other things. But now there's this possibility that there's other Amazons. Some which we've already known, like there was a division in the Amazons at one point and a group that disagreed with the, the direction and ended up choosing their own path, but there appears to be other possibilities that exist. I'll, I, I'm going to stop there without trying to give too much away. So um, I'm curious to see what you think about that, because I feel like this might be another chance, especially where the story takes place, to introduce more symbols, more examples of the beliefs that Diana upholds, and that Nubia can uphold, and that potentially others might be able to represent as we get to learn about them. So without trying to tiptoe any more than that, I, I, I was curious how far along you were, how much more I could talk about that with you. And now I'm going to hold off and say, when you get to the more recent issues, let me know. And I'd love to follow up with you again, because it feels like DC's got more going on. Like, this is what they're telling us now, but it feels like they're making steps or planting seeds for some really interesting possibilities to explore more than just what they're telling us about right now. So that's <laughs> a really exciting thing to consider, and I really want to hear your thoughts on it. Um, so help me remember, okay? <laughs> like, um, As far as the current Wonder Woman title and even from the beginning of Rebirth we kind of meet Diana when she's at a point that she's questioning everything she knows about herself and everything that she knows about the mascara um, and is coming to terms with the fact that the history that she remembers isn't necessarily the truth and I think um, I know the first two volumes of her Rebirth arc are, are truth and uh, or the truth and the lies I forget which comes first or year one's in there somewhere too but either way it, it's so <laughs> that, that concept was already kind of built earlier on in this series um, nice. that what we've seen before isn't necessarily the full picture. Um, and it's funny because you mentioned the that there are other Amazons and the Valkyries and whatnot. And actually, I recently read and it was one of those books that I came across on DC Universe and I, I liked the first couple chapters. So I ended up buying a physical copy 
um, of Odyssey of the Amazons. And I don't know what year this came out. It looks relatively recent, but I, I can't remember when exactly um, it was published. But it's this story that predates Diana. Um, and it's a group of Amazons is off of Themyscira recruiting other immortal women who they're, you know, they're saying basically these are our Amazon sisters. They're women who are immortal with really great power and, you know, strong fighting spirit from all over the country. So at the point that we meet them, um, you know, they're traveling by ship and their general and, oh my God, I forget her name. I'm pretty sure it starts with an H, but uh, you know, their generals sort of helping them scoop up all these other Amazons to bring back to Themyscira for training. But there are, um, you know, there's a few from Japan, there's Native American ones, there are Amazons from the actual Amazon. Um, and, and the general is an African-American Amazon. So I guess not an African or American Amazon, but a black Amazon. That's, that's a whole nomenclature, but, um, it's, and they meet the Valkyries and realize that they are in a lot of ways on the same level as the Valkyries. And I, I forget exactly the conclusion that they come to, but essentially they realize that the Valkyries are their sisters, that they were created sort of in this, this same breath but um you know essentially assigned to different mythologies or different versions of the world um and I'm, I'm interested to see once I catch up to Wonder Woman and then as it goes forward how much they use the Odyssey of the Amazon background to inform this because I'm not sure that the Odyssey of the Amazons was canon um you know again it was just sort of a, a one-shot story that I, I happened across so I, I don't know a ton of where it actually fits into the DC universe as a whole but from what you're saying, it sounds like they're they're actually going to use that going forward, which I think is really cool because it had such a um, it just had such a wide scope where they're experiencing different kinds of mythologies. They're dealing with different gods than just the Greek gods. They're dealing with different cultures. And there's this initial clash of what makes them different and different. And, you know, you have the Valkyries and the Amazons, you know, talking smack about each other, where by the end of the story, they realize what makes them similar. And they realize that, you know, there is this kind of global bond of sisterhood that keeps them all on the same page. Um, and I, I think that story would really inform the rest of Wonder Woman well, because, again, I adore Wonder Woman. But if you were to actually look at the entire history of Themyscira and the history of the Amazons and the history of who might have come before her to an extent she is the entitled super special little princess of the island who we see Themyscira almost entirely through her eyes everything we know about the Amazons their her upbringing her island her home all of that is really just what we hear from Diana so her perspective isn't going to be the entire perspective of everyone who has ever existed in Themyscira or everyone who has ever had anything to do with the Amazons. Um, and I think that's an idea I've seen come up in a couple of books. But in, you know, in, in Odyssey of the Amazons, Diana hasn't been born yet. But there's still this idea there, even with um, the main general, where the the I guess lesser soldiers are kind of like, well, what do you know? You're a general. You don't, you know, you don't live our lives. You don't, you're, we're not in the, the upper crust of Amazonian society. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's, there is a whole other perspective of this mythology that I think can be played with in a lot of different ways. And I, I mean, I will never lose any respect for Wonder Woman, but we do have to think about the fact that she is 
royalty and the only like she is the most privileged of the privileged, essentially. So it will be interesting to see her mythology through the eyes of someone who was not raised like a royal. Yeah, and forging their destiny through whatever means they have to uh, go through right. or use in order to accomplish it. You know, Kelly, uh, I've already had you on for almost an hour, and I want to make sure that I've been sort of stirring this a little bit, but are there other panels that you got the chance to catch, see, that um, I'm not going to run through, instead of me running through the list, you could sort of steer just for a few minutes and just let us know, like, were there other panels that you caught, other panels you're looking to see, and I can ask you questions about your experiences, but give you a sort of like, a, you know, be like, here, you're driving. Talk to me about what else you caught from DC fandom. Because, you know, at some point I'm going to say, hey, Josh, this is a two and a half hour podcast. We should knock it off and wrap it up. But I also want to keep in mind the fact that, like, I I asked Brad this year on some of the early stuff. I asked some questions. But I'd love to hear, like, what other panels did you check out? Tell us about them so I can sort of, like, get your feedback on, on any of those that you were checking out on your own. Just life schedule, other factors. See, I was so I was following sort of Josh, Josh's schedule throughout the day. Um, and unfortunately, just with the way timing worked out, I, I ended up not seeing a lot of the panels that I really wanted to see towards the end of the day, um, like Harley Quinn. Although I did catch the uh, Ask Harley Quinn Uncensored, which was he fun. so <laughs> recommended that to me and I laughed my butt off. I thought it was hilarious. Wait, your take? Yeah. It was ridiculous, right? <laughs> ridiculous and fun and i mean they really need to have a season three that's like that's, i love that's that that was a question <laughs> yeah i mean and and now i'm like i still need to go see the harley quinn panel because that's like i i need to get caught up there because they might have announced i've been avoiding social media all day because i'm like whatever they announced that i didn't see i can see today so you know bear with me but yeah i, I think I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I caught that we haven't talked about yet. Um, well, really quick, did you want to go back to any of, because I was going to go back to the TV stuff real quick if you wanted to just go over any of those uh, that we didn't get a chance to talk about. We kind of broke off at Superman and Lois and moved in some stuff that we could still talk about with Brad before he had to jump off. So before I go back to the TV stuff, was there, um, let me just run through any of the, you know, uh, did you do the deceased or injustice? Um, you didn't get the chance to see the Harley Quinn panel. What about any of the animated stuff? Deathstroke, Superman, Man of Tomorrow, um, any of of those or? Um, no, just those two. So I'm going to be, tonight's going to be a night of comic book and uh, animated panels. Cause it, and it's, <laughs> I think I'm the one person who's not that, that involved with the live action stuff. And yet that's the majority of what I saw. But if anything, it gave me a strong enough opinion that I'm like, I know now that these shows are probably much, much better than the the, the playtime I've been giving them. Um, <laughs> well, uh, keeping yeah, that I, in mind, um, tell me a little bit about Stargirl or Doom Patrol. You, you got a chance to catch those panels. So, you know, I've already had a chance to ask Brad about some of those, and I didn't get a chance to see those. I got a chance to see Deathstroke, uh, Knights and Dragons a little bit. I saw Man of Tomorrow, 
and the Batman Death in the Family um, panels. And I got to catch those with Josh and Kendra like at like 11 at night at here, which is like, you know, one or two in the morning for you guys. Uh, which was just sort of a ridiculously fun time. And then I was like, I have to go to bed now. I'm exhausted. I, I'm done. Um, but hearing the, about the TV stuff through Brad and now getting your feedback has been kind of really fun for me to like experience it through your, uh, through your takes. Um, what did you think of Stargirl to start off with that one? Um, good panel. Good. Thanks. So Stargirl, I saw, I believe, I saw the end portion of the Stargirl panel. And again, it just, it's one of those shows and I, I've gotten to watch a decent amount of Stargirl. Um, and it's just one of those shows where you can tell there's so much enthusiasm going into it that it's very, um, it, it just has that hopeful edge that the Stargirl character is supposed to have. And I, I, I mean, it just, it's again, really heartwarming to see that the cast of these different shows get along so well and that they have so much enthusiasm and they're so excited. Um, and yeah, Stargirl is, it's just a, it's a fun show and it's very well done. It's very, um, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I think when it, it was first announced, I was like, huh, I mean, she has kind of, you know, a very cartoony costume and, and look to her and they managed to keep it light and fun, but still, uh, you know, still classic. She doesn't look any different than she would look on the page. It's just a little bit more, I don't, I don't even know if you want to say muted, but they made it work. And I think part of that is just, I mean, one, oh, I forget her name, but the actress who plays Stargirl is just adorable and very, very, she looks like Stargirl. But to see her enthusiasm about the character from the panel to the show, um, it, it makes me confident that this is a show that's going to go on for at least several more seasons and that we're going to get to see more of this character because she is one of those characters that um you know we know of as dc fans but she hasn't played a huge huge role um and yeah so to see her kind of come out at this point and to have this teen angst mixed with trying to save the world but in a way where it's not sort of beating you over the head with the teen angst because that can happen a lot (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I really do enjoy Stargirl though. Nice. I'm a big fan. I can't wait to hear your thoughts after you've had a chance to watch the whole series. But, um, since you caught the tail end of that, I I'll keep moving and say, tell me about you watch the doom patrol one. Then tell me what your take was on all of that, what your experience was and, and what your feeling was after, have you watched all of season two? Yes. Season two. I'm caught up. So knowing all of that, what was the Doom Patrol panel like for you? I I think the first thing that really struck me is um, they're drawing parallels between Jane and Dorothy. And the fact that especially as baby doll, Jane sees, um, well, I'm blanking on his name. The captain? Oh, my God. What is the, they're, they're, they're Professor Xavier. <laughs> um, oh, my, wait, what is his name? Yeah, Niles Calder is their captain in the the parallels you were talking about between Dorothy and Jane. Yes. Okay. Good. Because I, <laughs> I, I I knew it was that. I knew it was that. But then I was like, wait, I'm gonna say the wrong thing. And then it went, okay. <laughs> anyway, it's it is interesting to see those parallels where both Jane and Dorothy are in a sense not really a little girl, but at the same time they are, and they have this father daughter bond with him in a sense. Um, and that 
in a way that gives them a lot of similarity and it gives them a lot of common ground. But also there's, you know, kind of this almost sibling rivalry that erupts, which I think it's an interesting layer to the characters. Just it's unexpected, kind of. You wouldn't think that, you know, all right, so we have a an, very old, immortal adult woman trapped in a little girl's body and then a little girl personality trapped into a different grownish woman's body and that both of them have this father figure who has damaged them in different ways and betrayed them in different ways, but that they're still kind of have a competition, um, this, or at least an internal competition for, okay, but I'm, I'm the main, you know, I'm the daughter or I'm, I'm the person he cares about more. It's still that sort of childish tug of war almost. Competition and, and like, for affection, right? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, you know, the classic sibling rivalry. Um, and the fact that they were able to bring a sibling rivalry into this where it, it wouldn't make sense if it was a character other than Jane. But because it's Jane and she, her personality shifts and one of those personalities happens to be a child, it, it just works so perfectly. Um, and, and the other thing I really liked about that panel, they were talking about the actual process of writing the episodes or pitching the show. Um, and I, I forget who it was. I think it was one of the writers said, you know, there is no bad ideas in this. I mean, basically, it, there are only bad ideas in this writer's room. We'll pitch something that sounds ridiculous, like a, a giant butt float is going to be in a scene. And everyone's like, OK, great. And and somehow they managed to make it work that there's this just free flowing, almost as get it as ridiculous as you can get it kind of feel. and that is so perfect for the Doom Patrol. And I think that's one of the things DC Universe did or is doing, I guess technically did, well, past tense, but um, they they managed to create something that doesn't, every single show that's made has a very, very unique, um, uniquely written universe where it's, I mean, you, you know, you can kind of watch, you watch a Hallmark movie and you know you're watching a Hallmark movie. You watch a... <laughs> ABC Family or whatever it's called now show, and you know you're watching one of those shows. It has sort of the same tone and the same subject matter. Um, but they really handled these shows as if they are different books, different, you know, different universes where it, Titans is so gritty and, um, you know, and kind of has this edge to it and it, it's less comedic. And then something like Doom Patrol, it's like, well, these are ridiculous characters living ridiculous lives. So if you want to pitch a butt float, you do it. Like, that's, I, I just love that that sort of creativity went into it. And I mean, again, it's some of these shows sound so fun to work on because I would love to be in a writer's room where you could walk in and say anything. And they're like, yeah, the worse the idea sounds, the more likely it is we'll do it. That, uh, that just sounds great to me. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this would be my number two behind Legends of Tomorrow, where I'd be like, so I want to be my weirdest, craziest, goofiest self. And they're like, great. Can you amp it up a little bit, though? Um, <laughs> don't don't hold back so much like that. that That's probably what my take would be. Um, <laughs> uh, and then how about uh, did you catch the Titans one? I understand Josh and Brad didn't actually end up doing um, didn't get a chance to, to include that one as part of the live stream. And um, I wanted to see, did you end up catching Titans or? Yeah, I saw part of that one, but I saw the part that I think had already aired partially. Okay. I believe that was okay. Titans that I did. Um, okay. But I did see uh, 
the the actors reacting to fan art, which was adorable. Um, right. Especially, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's for starters, I, I really like that they included so much fan art in fandom as a whole that they, you know, allowed people to sort of interact with, um, you know, with different actors and, and other professionals in the industry in a way where it's like, look at what you inspired or look at what I did based on what you're doing. And that's, you know, it kind of creatively comes full circle. Um, but I especially loved the, uh, I think they were looking at cosplay and there was someone dressed up as Starfire from the show. And I mean, the costume was on point. It was very, very perfectly done. It almost had, had I seen it and not known that that's what they were doing, I might've actually thought it was a still from the show. Nice. Um, Big compliment over there. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it looked great. And and the the Starfire actress said the same but it it just brings me back to how when this show was first announced and we were first looking at the characters, uh, my biggest complaint was Starfire's costume. I was kind of like, I, I don't I don't like the hair. I don't like the fur coat. Like it just and but it fits the show so well. And then I, I think to an extent as comic fans, we tend to get a little selfish where if we don't like something, it's the worst thing in the world and it shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and we don't always necessarily think that somebody out there is looking at this and they're like, yes, this is my thing. I love it. And so to see that there were fans who were so into it and so inspired by it that they recreated these costumes and these sets and these poses and and did that for themselves because they liked it so much. It's like, you know what? So it doesn't matter that I'm not into fur coats. That's not really a, a, a big deal. Titans is still great, whether Starfire is wearing a fur coat or a NASA shirt or whatever she wants to wear. Um, and actually, I, one of the things, and this doesn't come directly from the panel, but for Raven in Titans, her costume, her design is very much uh, taken straight from Gabriel Piccolo's work. Almost completely. I mean, it's her, the coats she wears, the uh, the flannel shirts she wears, all of that showed up in his artwork before it showed up on the show. Um, so I think that's just another huge point for him that the, not all the characters, I, I think she might actually be the only one that's really close to his design. But the fact that technically his Raven kind of showed up in Titans. I mean, it, it is, she wears the exact jewelry, the exact outfits that I've seen him do, which is really, really cool. I think it's kind of cool that they've given so much freedom. Like some things, the Nightwing costume, uh, Hawk and Dove's costumes are like right out of the comic book. But then other parts where, like you said, they they saw something, they made a choice, and people are responding to it. Like this totally speaks to me. Make the changes to characters like Starfire feel, uh, I mean, completely authentic, very organic, and, you know, Gradually, they become something where you're like, okay, after seeing the character, it fits, it works. Like, maybe not until you have, and maybe if you're trying to, you know, hold on to the things from comics that you need to see recreated specifically, exactly to a T on screen. And then when someone does it the right way, that you go, ah, that works too. Nice job. Okay, let's keep going. Like, uh, there's a fun feeling with that. and I like the idea that we can, you know, hopefully see more of it. I, I love the the cosplay reactions. Uh, the Dove, did you see the one that someone did in the Dove costume? I was blown away. Oh, I mean, yes. 
And yeah. she even said, like, we put a lot of work to get that costume just right. And we were a team. Like, how did you, yeah, I'm impressed you were able to do this all on your own and, like, make it look so yeah. phenomenal, so close. It's pretty awesome thing to get that kind of recognition, too. So I was I was pretty juiced overall. I was like, wow, these, these are really cool. Ones. The Flash one got me, too. The, the guy with the pose with the lightning. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, for yeah. the, That was an awesome. I was like, wow. And he goes. This guy's costume's better than mine, and his pose is better. What What the hell? Like, it was <laughs> really great moments that I'm sure if you're a fan who did that, it's just like, I have arrived. You know, this is my... I did it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Success! Um, how about uh, the uh, the other two that were in the TV uh, panels, uh, Pennyworth or Lucifer? Did you catch them? Details, specifics on either one? We can go as deeper, as shallow as you like. So I didn't get to see Lucifer, and I only saw a chunk of Pennyworth, but I think the chunk I saw is worth mentioning. Um, Because they they were saying that um, Alfred could beat up Batman if he had to, which to me was like, whoa. But (laughs) this is the point that it's like he, you know, everything that Bruce learned about combat in a lot of ways he took from Alfred. Alfred is a military professional. Alfred has all of this you know, all of the knowledge and and the intelligence that Bruce has to an extent, it just, it baffles me that Alfred could kick Batman's ass. I mean, really? That's like... Yeah. That's, that's a pretty that's, tough thing. But I, I thought that was fascinating. And it's, I haven't seen any of Pennyworth. So just watching that little portion of the panel, I was like, I, so clearly I need to see this because you're you're telling me that Alfred's, history is so cool that i i mean really i this okay so i'll say this i'll I'll chime in right now and just say you're lucky that like steve j ray isn't on right now because he would be losing (laughs) his head i know he was a huge fan i know i'm pretty sure brad also saw it i was a little late in catching it and then we got a like a free like when COVID hit, they suddenly like Epics and a bunch of other channels were doing all these promos. You could watch it for free. So I ended up catching all of Pennyworth. And I was saying earlier, it was the kind of show that I was able to get both my wife and my mother-in-law to watch with me. They were shocked, horrified and amazed by it. And that Alfred's displays of violence are based on he was also an SAS, so a specialized uh, group of combat troops. And what he does is just so, so impressively violent at times between gunplay, hand-to-hand combat. There's some gruesome moments in that, and he's responsible for quite a few of them. And seeing that, I I definitely think that depending on how far along, I mean, maybe once Batman ends up like learning how to be completely invisible and studying under... uh, you know, the League of Assassins and having all of that experience with all these different things, maybe he'd have the advantage. But up until a point, Alfred would have no problem kicking his ass and holding toe to toe with him even as he got better because the the violence he displays and the tenacity. And also you, you get the sense that he did the kind of things that Batman never had to because he handled guns. He used them as a weapon to such a degree of lethality that his comfort comfort with them would be beyond. I mean, I know Batman can use a gun. They've had stories where he's used one and he demonstrates that he, he understands how to use every weapon he chooses not to. But 
there's something about Alfred's familiarity with that and physical violence that just, yeah, check out the show. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that, too. Kelly, we have so much to talk about when you watch some of this stuff. I know. I have so much to catch up on. That's the, I need to stop watching Harley Quinn over and over and get on some of the rest of it. You're forgiven. Harley is a great <laughs> thing to keep watching over and over. Um, look, with that, I, it's been a, this has been a two-and-a-half-hour podcast. My dogs are charging in. Now even Fiji, my pit bull, is here. Oh, my goodness. We are about to be swarmed. Before I collapse under a complete and literal puppy swarm, <laughs> any final thoughts about fandom anything you want to leave i mean i'm there's so much stuff i want to go back and watch now and catch up on and, and see for the first time but I, I brought you on for a reason which is you and brad are way more interesting to hear than me so leave me with your thoughts what's what's left that you have to say about what you've seen in fandom and, and what you're going to be going back to watch later or anything else in between I mean, right now, I think the main things I'm going to be going back to watch are the comic book and animated panels, because those are actually the the aspects of the, the DC world that I'm most connected to, because I still have to catch up with so much of the TV. Um, but yeah, I Phantom has been a really fun experience, and I think a really great way to bring fans into the fold, um, get new information out there. And also, I mean, it does feel like a convention it, it was a very well done um i mean a, a very well done online convention um and i i just hope we we talked about in the podcast i think last week um or i think it was uh steve brad and i just about the fact that dc's done something right here and i really hope that they keep consistent because they were talking about monetizing um on the success of fandom and it's like no maybe don't do that maybe let's just let's not let's not make people now have to pay for it or something silly like it it is not broken do not fix it i i enjoyed it exactly the way it was (laughs) well that's something really important to me that i'm so i'm a big english premier soccer guy and recently they started taking it off of Hulu and the network channels that were showing it, they moved it onto that Peacock, which is a new streaming platform. And up until now, it's been free. But I went to watch some games this morning, and suddenly, in order to watch those games, which are no longer available on Hulu, I had to pay a premium service for it, a $4.99 a month thing. And Mm -hmm. a part of me went, I knew this was happening, but I didn't want it to happen unless it had to. For some reason, it had to. But it caused me to pause. I didn't automatically sign up for the free premium i love the games but i wanted to i knew also that if i was going to sign up for it i wanted to watch them and i knew i was going to be hopping on to do this podcast today on a sunday which is different but there's this part of me that hesitated because of that so hearing the idea of monetization and knowing what it did to me i mean someone who enjoys watching these games every weekend and the season just started yesterday again like today's a prime day to watch but I'm not watching. I know I have stuff to do, but also there's that part of me that knows that I didn't want to pay today. You know what I mean? And that's something that I would hate to see fandom suffer from because the monetization became a driving force or even a deterrent for anybody who got to see it free this year. So I'm with you. I really hope that they keep what works well. If you want to monetize other parts, do the merchandising. I guarantee you're going to make plenty of money off that. Do stuff where people can buy originals and things like that, and and it'll be fine. But charging access is the reason why I don't read the New York Times as much and other platforms, because it's like when you charge me to go see something, 
I'm going to consider where I can get it free first, just because uh, there's certain parts I want to pay for and I'm willing to, and other parts where I think this did, this wasn't the way it was before, and I'm having a hard time agreeing with why you had to change it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And well, I, I Bruno's struggling with me, so I know he agrees, <laughs> but... <laughs> Also great to get a human, uh, you know, approval and support. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, I, and I you were saying? Goes, I went on to, there's an Amazon store for that. And some of the stuff wasn't rated very high, but they have a huge array of, like, fandom t-shirts. And it's some of the coolest DT, DC t-shirts I've ever seen. Like, they have, um, what's it called? They had tarot cards of Batman and Raven on t-shirts which is funny because I think they actually lined up with oh no you know what Batman did no Batman didn't but it lined up with whenever I did that piece on uh, the DC Universe and tarot cards the Raven one was pretty much the card that I put it with so now I'm like well now I need that t-shirt and there I think I I added them to my Amazon cart for a minute and then it was like $400 worth of t-shirts and I was like all right so I'm gonna pick one but they have some good merch, so I mean, they can really drive that home, because I, yeah, I mean, it's, they don't have to make us pay to see the convention. There are other ways to, or even if it's like some sort of exclusive Q&A thing that you can buy into, I mean, there has to be a way to do that without totally changing the, the structure of the convention. I'm agreeing with you. My my friend, she Bruno, he's totally charging along. I'm checking out the store right now. There's some pretty awesome looking stuff on here. I can I can see exactly that they've got the content. They've got the the merchandise that people are gonna want. And I just saw they've got 51% off ebooks till 9:14. That could get dangerous. Okay, coming back to. Uh, hey, with all of that, Kelly, um, man, one, thank you, uh, Brad, for hopping on when you did. And Kelly, thanks for hopping on for the second half and talking so much with me and even tolerating the snarblings of Bruno, who's just had about enough and is going to take <laughs> over my life as soon as I hop off, which I'm okay with. Um, yeah, with all of that, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode of the DC Fandom follow-up. Um, anybody out there who wants to hear more about what you had to say or follow up on an aspect of conversation that we got a chance to cover today. Where, where can they find you out there? Brad told us it's your turn. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Kel Gaines, right? And you can find me just regularly on our main DC comics news podcast. All right. And what a great time it is whenever we get a chance. I'm sorry I missed last week, but I know anytime it's a conversation between you, Brad and Steve or Kendra or all of us, it's it's always a great one. Um, I've been your host, Seth Singleton. You can find me on Twitter as one more singleton. You can find me on the Internet. Just type in Seth Singleton and story or storyteller and go from there. You can find me at DC Comics News, too. You can find me with Kelly and the rest of the gang on the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. How do you make sure you don't miss any episodes of that or other great stuff like I Am The Night, Mad Love, A Harley Quinn cast, Spinner Rack, the soon-to-be-coming Tropesville, and uh, Flicky Fashions. And Kelly, you still have to name your show. I'll let you do that. But for all of that, say again. (laughs) I'm getting <laughs> okay. Um, there's so much more that's going to be coming your way. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether you choose the big ones like Google, Apple, Spotify, or 
a smaller one or a medium one or whatever your platform is. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss out. We always have fun stuff like this, and you've heard we've got great interviews in the future. Also, if you want to let us know something, and it's not just directed at me, Kelly, Brad, or someone specific, but to the entire DC Comics News group, or you just want to send out a message and have us all respond to, use at DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C-O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S on any major social media platform from YouTube to Instagram to Facebook to Twitter. I'm sorry, Bruno's rumblings do not have their own social media platform, but any of the other ones I mentioned, use that at DC Comics News and we'll all get to see your message, hear, respond, and have a great conversation about all the things that there's only so much time to cover on the podcast. This has been the DC Comics News Podcast, a great follow-up to the DC Comics fandom. And I've been here with the amazing Kelly, who with me only has one final thing that we wrap up every episode, and that is to always read more comics. (laughs) I thought I had the timing down. (laughs) And with that, here's to a future of more laughter and fun on DC Comics News Podcast Network. Until then... We'll be laughing along with you on our next episode. Join us, won't you?